0: Well, good morning. It's 9.30 and time for me to open um, this morning's hearing session, the examination. My name's Louise Crosby. For those of you who have not already been, I think most of you have probably been here at least once now already. Um, And sat next to me is Elaine Worthington, where the inspectors appointed by the Secretary of State to... um, under Section 20 of the Planning and Compulsory Purchase Act 2004 to carry out the independent examination of the Uttlesford Local Plan. Louise is the programme officer, and she's there at the moment. She's um, positioned in the corner for the um, duration of the hearings, and she's your first point of contact for any administrative matters during the hearing sessions. Just a few housekeeping points. Can everybody... Here, can you hear up on the balcony? Okay. It's really important that you try and speak as closely to the microphone as possible and also say your name before you speak because there are people listening at home and it's um, an audio recording only, not a visual. There's no visuals with it. Um, if you've got mobile phones, can you turn them off or put them on silent, please? Are there press here today? No? Okay. We're not expecting any fire alarm. If it does go off, it's likely to be the real thing. There is a green arrows at the doors and you exit down the stairs and out into the car park. There are tea and coffee facilities in a room just off the uh, landing and there is also toilets just on the landing and um, down near the bottom of the stairs where we uh, where we come in. I won't go through the whole opening to I say most of you, I think, have heard it. Um, this is the final day of the stage one hearings part of the examination the later stages will um, focus on development management policy specific site allocations and again we'll look at the supply and delivery of housing land in, in, in more detail um, plus any matters not resolved at this stage or that we need to bring back and discuss further There our guidance notes which have been submitted uh, circulated, They're available on the, um, the council's examination website. There's also some proposed modifications from the council, um, CDED 11, and there's various iterations to that. The latest version, I think, was issued towards the end of last week. Um, they're likely to need consulting upon and also the uh, potential for further sustainability appraisal. Any that come out of today, if the council can keep a running list of those changes, it uh, proposes supports so or has no objection to, and we're also keeping a list. At the end of the final session of today, we'll go through um, a sort of list of points arising from this week, um, any modifications, other things that have occurred during the week where people have said, oh, we'll come back to you or um, we're going to provide another note, et cetera. So we'll deal with those uh, um, last, latterly today. Um, so, the sessions today are Matter 6, first of all. Anybody that was here <coughs> yesterday will realise that um, we didn't complete Matter 8 yesterday, so Eastern Park has been carried over into today. That will start no later than 11 o'clock, um, but obviously after Matter 6, and there'll be a break between the two sessions to allow people to change tables, positions etc. We'll have um, at least one mid-morning break and one mid-afternoon break as well as a lunch break between 1pm and 2pm. We've got quite a lot to get through again today. Can I stress that participants should be seated and ready to begin the session at the allocated time and the return promptly from breaks. Louise has also asked that in between sessions if everybody can leave their seats completely it makes it easier for for her to change the nameplates around and get everybody um, repositioned for the next session rather than trying to have to climb over everybody and, um, so yeah and again Louise is here working really long days if you can clear up rubbish at the end that's really appreciated It saves her a job the hearing sessions are relaxed and informal discussions focusing on particular matter being considered There is an agenda for today which has been updated. Um, Louise has speedily updated it overnight to um, add Matter 8 from yesterday, the Eastern Park Garden community, onto the end of the um, agenda for today. You'll notice on the top of the um, Matter 6, which is from the previous one it says the session will deal with so this is for matter six the session will deal with general issues concerning infrastructure provision specific infrastructure requirements for the proposed garden communities will not be discussed here they're considered uh, they're covered under matters seven and eight so we've dealt with them quite a lot over the last couple of days and then we'll deal with them again this afternoon under eastern park so if if the specific matters relating to those if you can wait until the eastern park um, section this afternoon um, so we'll be going through the agenda asking questions as we go along and giving everybody an opportunity to speak if they wish to do so most of you I think know the score now in terms of putting your nameplate on end if you want to speak and um, we'll bring you in um, working in a sort of logical order around the tables we'll make sure that everybody has a, a, a is able to contribute and aware that some people are not used to these events but try not to worry about it In a moment, I'll ask the Council if they want to provide any updates or any information um, before Matter 6 statement. Just um, one point. Overnight, quite a lot of documents came in from LANSEC relating to Eastern Park. So there's a variety of documents. Um, We'll deal with those under Eastern Park. Uh, They're not actually on the website as we speak, and we haven't got copies yet because of the the late arrival of them we've only just seen them i think my email came at half past seven this morning so we've not really had chance to look at them either um but i understand there's not a significant amount of different points in there and the council or mr warren will introduce them so that we're all clear and as was the case earlier in the week if there's points that people want to raise that they feel like they couldn't today because of the late arrival, then we will arrange, we'll talk about that at the end of today, we'll arrange a date for people to um, to submit comments in writing um, so that nobody's disadvantaged. Mr Warren, you've got, do you yes. want to mention that? Just,
1: just quickly to supplement and make an offer to people who might be particularly interested in seeing that material before we get to Eastern Park. Um, the um, I, I won't go into exactly why um, the material appeared when it did. Obviously, it's, it's a statement of common ground um, and attachments, and obviously one has to have common ground before one can sign that. Um, yes. But uh, le- leaving that aside, um, the um, pieces of work that it contains, there's a statement of common ground, obviously, between Landsec and and the county, uh, and uh, it contains or has attached to it Um, two things. Um, The document that was referred to in the Jacobs work, if you remember from a couple of days ago, people will remember that, about the viability of the section of the BRT between the airport and Great Dumbo. So that's already been referred to at the inquiry, but there was a separate study done that is attached to that document. Um, And there's also a, a, a document which deals with Traffic modelling on different assumptions from the garden community's trip generation assumptions. Now, ma'am, um, um, uh, those, uh, I, I was going to echo what you said about um, the the optimum way to deal with that now in terms of allowing people to make written observations if they feel necessary, if they feel it necessary after today. But in the interim, I think the best that we can do is, is to, again, through the programme officer, just try to generate, and my team are, are on this at the moment, try to generate a few hard copies for people who are particularly interested in Eastern Park for not before 11, as it were, today, so that at least they've, they've got a chance to see what's, what's in there before we start talking about it.
0: Yes, and even if we start at 11, I can't remember what order the agenda goes in, but we can maybe ensure that we deal with that after lunch, so yes. it gives people yeah. the lunch break. We might sort of reorder things a little bit so that uh, people can have a chance. And I'm, to... I'm not
1: suggesting that's the optimum way, it's just the best of a bad job. I'm afraid if I can put it that way for today and but at least people might be able to, to see what it is before we get to that
0: part. Yeah, and I know Louise is working hard to try and get those uploaded onto the website, So yeah. that, and, and there was problems, I think, yesterday with the Wi-Fi here that's been rebooted apparently, so um, yeah. we'll yeah. see. It seems to be working at the moment, but um, so hopefully people can dip into those as soon as they get on, as well. But I, I find it always easier if you've got a hard copy to yeah. uh, to read. So
1: well, we'll, we'll try and sort that out this morning yeah. as soon as possible. Thank you very much. Thank you.
2: Sorry, just to, mom, um, just just down here. <laughs> Good morning. Um, the town council would welcome a copy of those documents if it's possible to um, facilitate those as soon as possible, given a lot of our submissions relate to the evidence that's been put forward already. So if we could have a copy of that, that would be most appreciated. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Uh, Mr Warren's made a note, so he'll um, ensure that as soon as they get some copies, your team will be able to uh, to, to see those and and I'll ensure that there that we go through the bit the opening so we can pick out you know sometimes there's large documents but there might only be a few paragraphs that are of a particular relevance it's, it's often the areas of uncommon ground that are particularly of, of note but, uh, yeah okay
3: okay mine's it's working um <laughs> Was there anything that did you want to say anything in opening the council before we move to matter six?
4: Ma'am, uh, just um, to introduce myself firstly, Asset Ranatunga Council stepping in for Michael Bedford QC. Very nice to have a table for once at this <laughs> examination. Um, and I've got a range of people here who I think you've all seen before and they have their name tags. They'll um, introduce themselves as they go. Just in terms of admin, firstly. Um, <coughs> Yesterday, there was mention of the Stansted Airport um, resolution to go back to uh, committee, and I think there was a little bit of um, uncertainty about what that covered. Um, You may be aware, I think we provided that um, overnight to the programme officer. Um, So if you haven't had it, you will have it um, at some point for certainty. But just to summarise... Um, I think what we may have said was that um, it was only relating to the Section 106 agreement issues, but it's right to say the resolution also allows for consideration of new material considerations, as I think someone else said. So you will have that um, by the end of the day, just for formality, so that that you're absolutely clear on it. Um, Secondly, um, if I could just say, because of course we're dealing with Matter 6 and infrastructure um, I think just to... I'll, I'll bring in um, Alan Gillum in a second, perhaps just to make some introductory comments. But if I could just um, uh, really refresh um, where we are with the MPPF and infrastructure. And you have heard this before, so for brevity, I'll, just, I'll be as quick as I can. But just to say, of course, we're using a proportionate evidence base, that's paragraph 158 of the framework under plan making. Um, and you'll you'll have heard that a number of times. But then specifically with regards to um, infrastructure, I mean, firstly, paragraph 173, plans should be deliverable, and we've all said um, from this side of the room, capable of being delivered. And then more focused, 177, with regards to infrastructure, um, it's equally important to ensure that there is a reasonable prospect, reasonable prospect that planned infrastructure is deliverable in a timely fashion and you've heard various references across really the last three days and before to likelihood certainty will be delivered Um, i'd ask you of course as you will to reflect on what the actual wording of the framework is it's it's deliverable capable of being delivered against a test of really what's is there a reasonable prospect of it and that's that's really the focus of our evidence on infrastructure so i'll just with that in mind just bring in alan
5: Thank you. I'll just give a very brief uh, context. Um, The council has developed a range of approaches and measures from its evidence base through involvement with providers to assess whether whether strategic infrastructure is required. What whether and what strategic infrastructure is required to facilitate the plan? In paragraph one point two of our matter six statement we have um, a bullet point list which sets out what the evidence base has had regard to in identifying strategic infrastructure. That bullet point list is underpinned by MPPF, as my colleague has just described. Um, in the earlier topic paper, we also mentioned um, MPPG para, 8, para 18, and the uh, the quote, which no doubt inspectors have seen before, the local plan should make clear for the first five years what infrastructure is required. In that list, we mentioned providing reasonable and proportionate evidence base, local plan development proposals, including new garden communities, developing sustainable outcomes to support local plan growth, area-wide implications, including cross-boundary and beyond, constraints within the plan period, especially any early requirements, managing any wider issues beyond the plan period, and funding implications within the plan period, especially within those early years. Thank you.
3: Thank you. So, as Louise said then, this session is to deal with general issues concerning infrastructure provision and I am conscious that the specific infrastructure requirements for two of the proposed garden communities were covered yesterday um, under matters 7 and 8 and we'll be doing Eastern Park this afternoon Um, so having read the statements and listened to the discussion over the last two days I think it might be that a lot of questions 1 to 7 have already been considered Um, but I'm happy to run through those if people are here on particular questions so that we can cover those again i'm conscious there's a lot of crossover from yesterday and we don't necessarily need a rehearsal there are different people here today from yesterday but we don't necessarily need a rehearsal of everything that went yesterday or to preempt what's going to happen this afternoon so it's a a little bit tricksy um so anybody with anything on question i'll start with question one and see if anybody wants to chip in. So question one is, what strategic infrastructure is necessary for the plan to be implemented? (laughs) Oh, okay. Mr Roberts.
6: Thank you, um, Jamie Roberts. Here on behalf of Endurance Estates Land Promotion Limited and uh, Blore Homes and Martin Grant Homes, um, I think you're quite right. We don't want to go over old ground. We covered a hell of a lot in um, in Tuesday's session, but I think there is is a broad point really in, in terms of question one. Um, this is a plan that puts sustainable travel at its at its absolute heart, and. Uh, and, and, and what we un, uncovered in, in, in the Tuesday session was that some of the really key infrastructure in terms of rapid transit systems, um, public transport, um, et etc., et cetera, as well as some of the highway improvements um, have, have, have previously been listed as, as necessary and critical but have since been uh, been downgraded. Um, it's, it's the position of, of both of my clients that that is, uh, that is an issue because... Um, beyond, beyond outright deliverability, there are, are key questions in terms of the sustainability of that strategy. Um, and that ties back to a point raised by the North Essex authorities inspector. Um, paragraph 39 of, of his letter, that's reference 2000.1. Um, the the inspector was was very clear that um, rapid transit and sustainable travel options must be available early on, in the lifetime in the garden settlements to be able to affect that modal shift and achieve that um, that shift towards those those sustainable modes and and avoid overloading the highway network. Um, and I think what we've um, we've reached a position is. Um, is that is, can't necessarily be confident of that, given that the the key measures are, are not being given due importance within um, within either infrastructure delivery plan or, or the wider plan itself.
3: Thank you. Do the council want to respond on on that?
7: Uh, very briefly, I, I I think we're starting to well, we appear to be going a little bit over the ground we covered before, but I think it's helpful to. Uh, direct you to paragraph 1.5 of the Council's infrastructure topic paper in response to your initial questions, which gives the, the, def- the Council's definition of what critical, necessary and important infrastructure is. Uh, and, and the key difference between them is, is around timing. Critical infrastructure is development is necessary for the development to commence. Necessary infrastructure um, if the timing and phasing is less critical and development may commence without its provision. An important infrastructure, it relates to, or uh, infrastructure, categorised as important, is uh, important in order to build sustainable communities, but timing and infrastructure, timing and phasing, is not critical over the plan period.
3: Thank you. Mr Gillum. did you have something to add? Very
5: briefly, very briefly. Yeah, all I would add is that Whilst we have the North Essex report, Ottosford has its own transport characteristics and its own settlement pattern. Obviously, we don't have towns the size of Colchester and Braintree. We just have um, Saffron Walden and Great Dunmow, and um, a rural transport network. So the the characteristics are quite different, as my colleague David Sprunt has referred to earlier. Thanks.
3: Thank you. Mr Belton, you were next. Nice.
8: Thank you. Uh, Paul Belton on behalf of uh, Gladman. Um, just a very quick point. Um, I-, I note what the council have just said about... Um, proportionate evidence, and particularly focusing on the first five years of the plan, all all points that we understand. Um, Just to sort of round off some of our comments from yesterday, and I won't repeat them, but um, to do so, I'll I'll just refer you to paragraph 34 of the North Essex Inspector's letter. Well, he effectively made the point that, um, yes, it is important to focus on the early parts of the plan period, but before you endorse a strategy based on garden communities, you need to be satisfied that the full um, developments can be delivered because, of course, it would be uh, unsustainable if, if if we find that some of these sites can only go so far and don't hit what we've heard is a critical threshold of 5,000 dwellings to meet with the garden community principles. Um, so we would just echo what we said yesterday, really, and ensure, in your mind, that you're satisfied that um, there is sufficient certainty that uh, the full garden community concepts can be built out based on the infrastructure evidence and, and you'll note from our hearing statements that we have um, continuing reservations with that.
3: Thank you. All right, I can't see. An, oh, sorry, I can't see your card, Miss Fiddy.
9: Thank you. Just um, a, a comment from on behalf of South from Alden Town Council. Um, policy INF four. Um, says that, obviously, development must take account of the needs of new and existing populations, must be supported by the timely delivery of infrastructure, services and facilities necessary to meet the needs arising from the development. The final sentence, um, this is particularly important for the new garden communities. Um, could we have it timely as well, please, in <laughs> Saffron Walden for any development? I wondered whether that final sentence, putting um, obviously emphasis on timely delivery of infrastructure... But um, emphasizing only the garden communities, perhaps that could be, uh, that sentiment could be expressed as well for other towns and villages.
3: Thank you. Do the council want to respond on that particular point on? in four. Oh. <coughs>
10: uh
7: not had a chance to, to consider it in detail but it's the principle of um, uh, asking for timely infrastructure delivery alongside other developments across the district is, it sounds perfectly reasonable.
3: I mean that's fine, that's something, that particular policy is one that we'll come to in the, in the the in the stage two hearings anyway so maybe we could make a note and then we can all come back to it then. Okay, Mr Belton, yours is still up. Is that... No, that's fine. So question two was, um, are the strategic infrastructure necessary for the plan to be implemented? And is this clearly set out in policies or policy or policies in the plan? If not, should it be? Does anybody have anything on that question? Yeah, Mr Belton.
8: So a very brief comment again. I think in our hearing statements we've said that we think the plan would benefit from added clarity on um, infrastructure requirements and particularly timings of that. And I know we can't be overly specific about precise dates of when infrastructure needs to be um, provided but uh, that infrastructure that is deemed to be critical um, we think would benefit from being more clearly set out in the plan Uh, and just noting what was just said about the um, best rapid transit system you recall on my submissions on matter 7 I think it was where I was questioning whether actually the BRT should be a critical infrastructure given just how important it is to achieve the modal shift. Uh, and if it is, I think that should be more clearly um, represented in the plan. But um, that's our general observation.
3: Thank you. I'll go to Mr Arthur and then I'll come back to the council. Mr Arthur.
2: Yes, thank you, Mom. Um, the town council would just like to, to support Mr um, Belton's points on those. We firmly believe that the... Critical infrastructure required, such as the bus rapid transit system, um, should be hardwired. Sorry, you're quite
3: quiet. Would you mind pulling it towards Yeah.
2: See if that's any better. Uh, yes, we we, we consider that the uh, the BRT in in particular, um, given the emphasis within the plan on um, sustainable travel and modal shift, should be hardwired into uh, the policy um, and, and and really firmed up there as part of that to ensure that it is deliverable um, through the the life of the planned period. Um, just in a more general point, a lot of the other representations we've made are more specific in relation to uh, Eastern Park when it comes to infrastructure, so very mindful of your comment uh, about putting that back till uh, the later session with with matter eight. Um, the two specific bits we have in this session relate to um, questions nine and ten later down that that we have Mr Peachy that we'll come to at that point if that's okay thank you
3: that's fine I mean I don't know if I was clear enough it's questions one to seven that are the generality and then from question eight onwards um, I'm going to say the generality we may have touched on before from eight onwards we haven't so we'll go through question eight to 15 as we have done on the other days, if you're with me.
2: That would be helpful. Thank you. Yeah.
3: Did you did you want to come back on what you've heard there? Yeah.
11: Um,
7: uh, with regard um putting more more detail in the local plan on, on infrastructure and especially on timing, I mean, the council's view is that that's all in the IDP. The IDP is a is a living document and is able, capable of being updated to reflect changes that that occur there have occurred and will occur in the future. We think that's the appropriate place to to include reference to the timing of infrastructure. Um, with regard to BRT being referred to as critical infrastructure, um, as we discussed on Tuesday, um, document ED twenty seven A, the latest. Um, IDP schedules for the garden communities and, and, and other settlements identifies the BRT as necessary infrastructure, in line with the, the definition I, I talked about earlier um, about the timing of delivery.
3: Okay, thank you. Did you have you want something to add?
5: Just very briefly, the council also addresses, uh, well, specifically addresses transport requirements in policy TA four.
4: I think just to... Can I just um, pick up two references in that? I mean, there's reference to, uh, like, Great Dunmo, to um, sustainable travel being hardwired into the policy. If you look at TA4 um, and its wording, paragraph 6, rapid transit corridors support sustainable transportation connectivity, um, and then also under local highway improvements, paragraph 11... District Council will continue to work with Essex County Council to deliver transport measures to saffron, saffron more than to support movement across the town and more sustainable tra- travel behaviour, especially to provide opportunities for traffic to avoid the, the centre. So there is a degree of writing in already, we would say, and that is sufficient.
3: Okay.
9: Ms. Horton. Thank you, ma'am. Sorry, I thought I was going to be mute for most of today, but I, I thought I'd better just come back on what the council has just said. You'll seen from our hearing statements we're making similar points to, to Mr. Belton and Mr. Ather. Um, in terms of, well, it's okay to rely on the IDP, we would say that patently isn't the case. And the reason for that is that the Section 38.6 test doesn't apply uh, to the IDP because it's not a development plan document, not part of the development plan Um, our concerns with the IDP, as we've seen, it is a living document, and what that means is actually that the items can fall away uh, with no explanation. And by way of an example, um, the changes to the bus provision at North Uttlesford are a very good example of that. No explanation has been given for why that has become significantly weaker uh, just over the past few months. Um, So we would say it's not sufficient to rely on the IDP. Um, but these things need to be fixed, tied down uh, in, in the development plan itself.
3: Thank you. Would you like to respond, yeah? Uh,
7: the, the main point I was making there was around the, the timing of, of infrastructure delivery and, and that being most appropriately, um, the, the, the detail of that being most appropriately expressed in the IDP um,
3: Okay, thank you. So I'll move to question three, which was: Are there any effect, are there effective mechanisms in place between the council, other neighbouring authorities, and infrastructure providers to coordinate the planning and provision of, of infrastructure? Again, I'm fairly confident we've been through most of this. But if anybody else has a different view, please put your card up now, and we can we can hear. Nope. Okay. Um, Question four. Is any of the the strategic infrastructure reliant on other development coming forward in neighbouring authorities? I think we've covered all of them. Does anybody have anything else on questions one to seven? I mean, feel free to have a good look through them, but otherwise I'm going to move to to question eight. Mr
6: Roberts. Mr Roberts thank you um we just wanted to pick up on on question five with um, with particular relation to the the housing trajectory in the plan because we feel this is something that it goes to the heart of the, uh, the local plan strategy. Um, we, we heard slightly earlier from the council that um, framework para 177 refers to a, a reasonable prospect of, uh, of planned infrastructure um, coming forward in the timescales that it's planned to. Um, in, in our view, a, a reasonable prospect is fine, but it's not, it's not emphatic um, It's not a a strong statement of intent that this will will definitely come forward. The reason this is an issue with this particular plan is that there is not the greatest amount of inbuilt flexibility. Um, We we found out earlier this week um, through document ED47, sorry 49. um, Pardon me, um, but the, uh, the delivery timescales for some of the garden communities have been pushed back slightly. That is welcome, and uh, and that is is a little bit more realistic. But it remains the case that the plan will find itself in a relatively short space of time, um, very much reliant on. These garden communities to deliver, um, and very much reliant in turn on the on the infrastructure. If we get to to say year six post adoption, that's that's really quite soon into the period. And the LPA and and stakeholders need to be absolutely certain that this housing will come forward on time, supported by the necessary infrastructure. Because if it doesn't, then the garden communities are making. A fairly significant contribution to um, to land supply, and if it doesn't come forward on time, then very quickly in the lifetime of this plan, we could find ourselves with um, with a gap in the five year supply emerging. So that's the, the key point that I would, would would want you to take home. Really, is is that there must be that flexibility if the infrastructure doesn't come forward on time, and we've heard plenty enough about that already. But if it doesn't, then there there needs to be the flexibility that the plan um, can continue to do what it needs to do without taking the council back into a situation where it might have a gap in the land supply and a uh, and a planning by appeal scenario, which um, certainly for 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 residents and stakeholders would uh, would not be ideal at all. Thank you.
3: Okay, thank you. Do you. I mean, if you feel like you've responded before, there's no need... Yeah, okay. So if we move to the questions eight onwards, which are about the airport, um, and policy SP11, which concerns London Stansted Airport and is intended to support sustainable growth at the airport, which is designated as a strategic location. Um I know you've touched on it oh I'm sorry. Shall sorry, I sorry Mr
4: Anatinger, we're just going to have a quick yep. change of seats, if that's all right. Sorry, um, just to, Mr Ranatunga again, just to introduce um, someone, I don't think he's been before you, or not addressed you anyway, it's, it's, um, uh, we've got um, Roger um, Harborough, who is Director of um, Public um, Services at Uttlesford District Council.
3: Okay, thank you. Before we start, um, I know you've updated us um, briefly at the beginning about the airport application, but I'm conscious that everybody in the room hasn't, didn't have, may not have had the context of yesterday in terms of what when Louise asked um, for an update on the situation with the planning application and the and the airport. Could somebody just give the full update on where we are with that so everyone in the room is on the same page before we start
12: yes good morning ma'am I'm Roger Harborough, as uh, uh as Cita has said, I'm the Director of Public Services of the Council, um, and I've taken a lead role in relation to, to, to matters related to Stansford Airport. Um, so uh, clearly a, a, an application was submitted by Manchester Airport's group uh, for additional airport activity. That was uh, reported to uh, the Planning Committee of the Council in November last year. There was a resolution to grant planning permission for the development as applied for. Uh, heads of terms were part of the resolution of the planning committee. Um, subsequently, uh, planning obligations were prepared, uh, and uh, 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 and we're at the point of a planning obligation document being ready and complete. Um, Before uh, the the document was signed, uh, the Council uh, passed a motion, uh, a series of motions, but the the last motion was to refer the planning application back to the planning committee to consider the adequacy of the the obligations and also to assess whether or not uh, new material considerations had arisen. Uh, which ought to be taken into account uh, before a decision notice was issued in the intervening period between November uh, and the current date. Uh, so, arrangements to take the application, the obligation back to the Planning Committee have not yet been finalised.
3: Okay, so there's no date for such planning application meeting? Not for the, at the moment, Planning no. Committee meeting. No. no. I just,
0: is there any. Uh, is officer a recommendation likely to stay the same, or are you not able to tell us that at least? Uh,
12: well, in, in, in my view, uh, I've, I've expressed this in reports to Council recently, uh, the obligations now do meet the heads of terms previously resolved, uh, and there are no new material considerations to which um, significant weight could be attached justifying the planning committee reaching a different decision. But that, obviously, is a matter for the planning committee. Uh, It doesn't turn on my advice.
3: Okay, thank you. That's helpful. So if we move to question eight, which is, um, is policy SP11 justified and effective and consistent with national policy i don't know if you want to outline that first or if you, if i just go straight to straight to questions shall i just uh, as in setting the scene for sp11 that would all it all it would be do you if you don't think you need to then we, we can see what people want to say well I, i'm sure uh, participants will be aware of
12: what national policy is in relation to airports uh an element of the government's aviation strategy is it's making best use policy so it's within that context that um, sp11 sits
13: <laughs> yes go on <laughs> uh, thank you um i think um, it's probably worth just starting with a simple answer to uh, question eight and that uh, the policy is not justified and effective in the airport's view. Um, that's not to say that it is. Um, the thrust of the policy is not uh, inconsistent. In fact, I think it is. It does try to reach a position of, uh, of sustainable airport growth. But there are um, subtle drafting issues with the policy that uh, that we have, which we've set out in our representations to date. I'm happy if you wish to go through those on a tedious line-by-line basis, so whether it would be worthwhile just referring back to Reg 19 and let the conversation from others carry on first. I'll take advice as to how you'd like me to handle that.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good idea. I've I've read them all in your Reg 19 statement. Um, I presume the council would be prepared to make a response on those, but perhaps if we let everybody else go through the less details, points first, um, as long as we remember to bring it back up. Okay.
13: You just turn it now so we can see your
14: name. It's only on one side. Because <laughs> <laughs> presume you, know your
3: name. Mr. Ross, thanks.
14: We also support the thrust of the policy. We also support the thrust of the policy. And we also have some tedious uh, refinements which uh, we've submitted to you. Um, In essence, I think the airport has submitted a series of proposed changes which would relax many of the safeguards in the policy. And we have submitted a series of proposed changes which would strengthen the safeguards in the policy and I think that's to be expected if at the end of the day the policy remained as written by the council um, that would not be a serious issue for us as I say there are some drafting points which we don't think are terribly contentious and should be taken on board and there are some other specific points on the employment area um, and on passenger numbers, are specific points which you can deal with in subsequent questions. Thank you.
3: Okay. So we'll move, we'll, we will leave those, unless does anybody else has. But I think if we wait for the other, the other questions to go through, and then we'll do the drafting issues between the two at the end, perhaps. I'm conscious that other people may have also such issues. So if they come up in the meantime, we'll perhaps deal with them then. So if I move to question, if no one else has got anything on question eight, question nine is quite specific. Um, should the policy impose a limit on annual passenger numbers? Mr Starr.
15: Thank you, uh, Dan Starr. We are residents. Um the airport's national infrastructure, and so clearly partly guided by national aviation strategy, uh, that means it could be difficult for a small rural authority such as this to cap flight numbers. But it is perfectly reasonable for SP 11 to prohibit night flights based on the uh, NPPF requirement to deliver sustainable development. I understand it's, these have successfully been done at uh, Gatwick and Heathrow, so why not at Stansted? Night flights are proportionally more disruptive. Freight flights are traditionally at night. The equipment used is the oldest, noisiest, and most polluting aircraft that is no longer fit for passenger use. These old crates already blight villages living near the airport. This plan opens the door to 10,000 houses at Eastern Park, on top of the 5,000 in adjoining Dunmo, Tateley, Thaxted and Elsenham in this planned period. All that are overflowed and have noise pollution today at night. The MPPF has an economic objective that allows growth, but to be sustainable, the MPPF also requires that its social environmental objectives are met. It is reasonable and justified that the local plan should prevent night flights so that all three cornerstones of sustainable development are met. Additionally into the mix comes the carbon net zero legislation, which is a material new consideration. Um, as well as the unblocking of Heathrow expansion that happened in the High Court in March. The net zero legislation is intended to tip the balance towards the social environmental objectives of the MPPF. This is even further justification for curbing night flights um, and actually slowing airport growth. Thank you.
3: Thank you. I can't see the, your full name, Mr Martin Peachy. Thank you.
16: How's that? Good morning. Uh, Martin Peachy, I'm advising Great Dunlap Town Council on on noise and airspace issues. Um, The actual question is, should there be a limit on passenger numbers? And the short answer is yes. Um, But as just mentioned now, it's the number of flights that that fundamentally affect the amount of noise. Um, And what I should say is that that the Green Paper has been referred to the future of UK Aviation and forthcoming policies going to look at uh, ways to cap uh, sensible caps, and, and that should also be looking at flights. Um, but in fact, as, as, as Mr. Harbour alluded to, the, the process has got to the point where 43 million passengers. Uh, the, the, there is a proposal to limit um, the, the, um, the current resolution to 43 million passengers. And uh, but what that does, if you look at it very carefully, is that there will in fact be an increase in the number of flights. So that hasn't appeared to be taken account of. And the, the rough estimate of the increased number of flights is 47,000. And the reason behind that is, is um, load factors. So I can give you the details of all that if you wish. But the short answer is yes, there should be capital numbers, but equally there hasn't appeared to be a mention of the of the number of flights. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Could you... That's perfect. Would the Council like... Oh, sorry. I was going to ask the Council what we can do. Would Mr Ross, would you have something to add on those points and then we'll go back to the Council?
14: Yes, I think it's probably better if I, if I do speak before the Council. And I, I'd like, if I may, just to give you some context, Stop Stance Expansion, I should explain, was established 17 years ago in response to government proposals at that time to make Stansted bigger than Heathrow. And we have some 7,500 members, registered supporters, most local parish councils, and members of SSE. But our roots go back much further than that, to the 1980s. When the airport inquiries took place, which eventually led to Stansted becoming London's third airport. Um, The airport inquiries under Inspector Graham Eyre. And he was very careful in suggesting that the growth of Stansted should be limited to 25 million passengers a year. And he felt there had to be some assurance to the local community and some long-term peace of mind and stability. And his recommendation to the government back in the 1980s was that the expansion of Stansted should only be permitted if the government gave an unequivocal commitment that it would be limited to this growth to 25 million passengers a year and it wouldn't become a two-runway or three-runway airport. And then in 2002 which is specifically when SSE was established, um, proposals were made to make Stansted bigger than Heathrow. These were ultimately seen off, but the government policy at that time, and this is quite important actually, was the best use policy has existed since 2003. It was in the 2003 white paper, it was in the 2013 white paper which replaced it and it will be in the next white paper. So the best use policy isn't anything new but there have always been safeguards against unfettered expansion. In 2008 the Secretary of State agreed that the 25 million limit could be increased to 35 million that was deemed to be best use. And as I say, the best use policy um, has existed all that time. The government is quite careful not to use the term full use. It uses this term best use and the airport's application currently is based on best use. Previously it was based on, on best use. and. There has to be some, whether it's a passenger limit or an annual movements limit, there has to be some sort of limit which safeguards against unfettered expansion. The infrastructure isn't there for that. It's not in the plan for that. And let me just finally, in this response to this question, in this context, make it clear that government policy says as follows in relation to the best use policy. It says airports that wish to increase either the passenger or air traffic movement caps to allow them to make best use of their existing runways will need to submit applications to the relevant planning authority. We expect that applications to increase existing planning caps by fewer than 10 million passengers a year can be taken forward through local planning authorities under the Town and Country Planning Act. As part of any planning application, airports need to demonstrate how they will mitigate against local issues, environmental issues, taking account of relevant national policies including new environmental policies emerging from the aviation strategy. This policy statement does not prejudge the decision of those authorities who will be required to give proper consideration to such applications. It instead leaves it up to local rather than national government to consider each case on its merits. In other words, it's for local government, not national government, to consider each case on its merits. And our reading of the policy Policy SP11 is presently drafted in relation to limits and so on, um, appears to us compliant with all of that. Thank you.
3: Okay, I was going to ask the council to respond next. There's a number of points there. Would you prefer Mr Andrew to speak first?
12: Perhaps Mr Andrew first and
3: I'll... Mr Andrew. There we go. Thank you.
13: Um, There's a couple of points that have been been raised, which I'll, I'll come to in turn, but I think the primary point is, should there be a limit on annual passengers. As per your question, the answer to that is no. Government policy is very clear that that is not necessary. Um, Very specifically for the benefit of those unfamiliar with aviation policy, the government very specifically advanced a core area of their aviation policy ahead of its next main white paper. Uh, And that was done in uh, June last year. Um, And very clearly in the whole 29 paragraphs of that document, it sets out and Mr Ross indeed has quoted some of it, that those applications should be submitted at the relevant level, passenger numbers relative to the national infrastructure uh, requirements and set out in the 2008 Planning Act, should be submitted to local planning authorities, and those are then to be judged on their merits. There is absolutely therefore no need to prejudge what um, passenger caps may or may not, uh, or indeed aircraft movement caps, to another point that was raised, that any of those points should be prejudged by a planning policy. Just touching on a couple of the other points that were raised um, in relation to night flights, it's worth noting that night flights are for the London airports the preserve of the Secretary of State. Um, he or she, uh, he is, is at the moment, sets those targets um, and those limits, um, and those, the London airports, including Stansted, live within those. Again, any uh, inference that there should be a local planning policy to, uh, to uh, ensure any further control would be a duplication and make the, make the policy uh, unnecessary. Um, and uh, if it's in conflict with the government's uh, uh, statutory controls, it would be ineffective if it were different. Um, and uh, finally, uh, the point around carbon was raised, and I think I would just point you to 1.111 of the Making Best Use policy uh, from last year. Um, And, inspectors, just so you're clear, it's not called Making Best Use, although it's frequently referred to as that. It is beyond the horizon, the future of UK aviation, making best use of existing runways, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, But paragraph 111 of that document very clearly sets out that um, there are some national policy issues that should be considered for aviation, and one of which of those is carbon. It is dealt with at a national level. There would be no need for a local policy to any further effect.
3: Thank you. Did the council have anything to, that they wanted to say on that? On those? Question nine.
12: Uh, no. We. Um, I think Mr. Andrew has uh, summarised the position um, and a couple of points.
3: Okay. Thank you. Okay, so if we move to question 10, which I think we've started to touch on already, actually. But does the policy take account of an accord with the government's aviation strategy? So it's policy SP11.
13: Mr. Andrew? I think if I just um, very quickly say that um My answer previously to question is: I think more generally it it, it does, but the the drafting issues would just just ensure that there would be absolute accuracy with that.
3: I'm wondering if we should just do the drafting issues and then we can get the points out of the way. (laughs) Okay? Can you... um, I'll dig out the statement if you could run us through those.
13: I will do, of course. Um, Yeah.
3: No problem. Yeah. Okay. While we do this, if anyone else has issues on particular criteria as we go through, because I know there's um, criteria three comes up a couple of times, could you perhaps chip in as we do it now? That would be helpful. I'll um, I'll, I'll sort of pause at the end of each one and let you take stock if there's any
13: uh, any uh, uh, further interventions required. Um, I think just at the very outset, uh, what I would say um, under uh, airport safeguarding is. um, as drafted, it's absolutely vital that that paragraph is kept um, in, uh, in SP11, um, dealing with all the uh, it, it matters of integrity and safety of the operation of the airfield. Um, and um, and on, on record, it's worth pointing out that um, the airport welcomes the council's approach to uh, dealing with safeguarding in those matters. I think it is important. Um, but moving on to the sort of third section, which is uh, entitled Access to London Stansted Airport. Um, we had made a couple of comments, uh, three comments on this in total. Um, I think the one thing um, that's a bit more of an overarching point is that we would like to see this um, uh, approach as a partnership approach. And really the policy should make, make it clear that, um, that this is a combined effort between the, uh, the transport providers um, particularly um, Essex and, and Highways England, ourselves, uh, and indeed the Council. Um, and underpinning all of that is the uh, transport forum, uh, which is a government policy to have, which is a, uh, something that's operated at the airport and brings together all those partners. So I think it's worth stressing that um, the access to the airport is a, is a, is a strategic and, and partnership approach. But, um, but that aside, um, there's a, a couple of finer amendments. Um, in the first paragraph, um, second sentence, um, it, it says uh, the necessary local strategic transport infrastructure, rail coach, bus, pedestrian cycle, uh, capacity um, to accommodate the passenger and employee trips, and then, then the following is, or following part of the sentence is, and other journeys and connections to the airport must be maintained and enhanced. Um, there is no evidence provided at all as to how uh, other journeys and connections to the airport could be enhanced or maintained, and I think that, for me, makes the point um, a little uh, little overreaching. Um, And um, whilst we have absolute commitment to... um, to maintaining the facility at the airport as a, as a local transport hub, um, it's not clear to me what uh, or how, or um, particularly how it would be funded for that matter either, um, how other journeys that aren't airport-related on our infrastructure would be, uh, would be promoted and, uh, and funded. Um, so I'd suggest then the deletion of other journeys um, via connections to the airport would be deleted as a matter of... Um, airport policy. And then the second major point on that is to delete the second paragraph of that section because um, the rapid transit options um, are not a requirement of airport expansion. Um, That is a matter that has been um, discussed through the planning application and um, um, to date um, there's no case being put forward by the, the highways authority. Or, um, or the Council, that they would actually justify that inclusion in the policy, because we do not rely on it, either for our passenger or for our staff trips to and from the airport, be it up to 35 million, or more importantly, up to a 43 million passenger airport.
3: Thank you. I think it is better, as you say, if we break them down, and I'll ask for a response from the Council on that, on that particular point.
12: Yes, thank you. Thank um, you. The airport does serve a, an important function as a, a, a transport inter, interchange for uh, trips uh, whose origin or destination is, is local, and therefore um, it, it is important that the policy recognises the importance of that. Because you know what it does is support travel by sustainable transport modes uh, from the district uh, elsewhere. Um, so, uh, I think it, it is important the wording of the policy recognises that, 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 that function. Um, in respect of the uh, suggested removal of the final paragraph of that access to London Stanford Airport section, um, whilst I understand the point that uh, rapid transit uh, is not essential to, um, to, to trips for journey-to-work purposes at at the airport. Um, It is important in relation to to the development of the the new communities and going back to my previous point about connections between local places and elsewhere via the interchange. Um, uh, If the rapid transit uh, option is enabled to have access to the airport site, then it can take advantage of connections via... By the, uh, uh, the the various services which which meet at the airport, so it is important in that respect.
3: Did you want to respond on that? I think just on the uh, the, the points
13: around the rapid uh, transit uh, link. I think the the airport's position is undoubtedly that we would, um, you know subject to a viable scheme and all the other issues I'm sure you've discussed around the rapid transit, you know, be more than welcoming of a future uh, to accommodate that. There's a difference between accommodating it and having a policy requirement that requires us to, a, partially fund it, um, which I, I don't believe is um, is the case that LandSEC have forwarded, or, or indeed that land needs to be specifically safeguarded for such an effect either. Um, I think the policy is overreaching in that regard, whereas a commitment to uh, a partnership working towards helping deliver it is a different matter altogether.
3: Thank you. W- was it on this particular point?
2: Yes, thank you, Ma'am. Just, just in terms of um, Great Dunmore's position on, on that specific point, is that this is an area of the policy that we, we would support um, and want to see those elements relating to that rapid transit system and... Um, Again, hardwired there into that policy to secure delivery. Um, you know, partnership working is great, but but it also needs a policy will and intention as well to support that. So, we, we think the wording around that is 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 important within the policy. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Mister Peacher, yours is. Would you like to speak as well?
16: Uh, not on this particular point, but generally. On this. On. Uh, on question 10, if I may, ma'am. Um,
3: Hold on. Can, can we, if, you, if, I just you, need to, I need to really run through the criteria here, yes. but I will come back to you if we can come back to question 10, if that's all right. Sorry, it's difficult to keep to questions. And Mr. Doddsley, yours is up.
17: Thank you. It's just a point of clarification. I just picked up from the... Um, Chap from the airport, that um, Stansted don't rely on the BRT for staff trips or passenger access to the airport. Um, sat here over the last few days hearing quite a lot, and the, um, the local plan, across lots of areas of the local plan, um, state that the Stansted employment opportunities for the garden communities. Um, the funding of a BRT is for employment opportunities at Stansted, but now I'm hearing that Stansted don't require any BRT um, for any of their employees to get there. So I'm a bit confused.
3: Okay, I'm not. I'm not sure. I heard that they didn't require BRT at all, but I'll, I'll let Mr. Mr. Andrew respond.
17: Sorry, for employment. Their, their employees. He was very specific.
3: Okay, thank you. Just to be very clear, our, our staff and our
13: uh, uh, passenger access is, um, is is calculated, and the application was founded. I don't wish to turn this into a planning application discussion by any stretch, but um, that is founded on existing infrastructure, i.e., the M11, the A120, uh, the rail network, and the like, and uh, our continuing and ongoing funding of public transport, local public yes. transport. Uh, routes. Um, that are using the existing infrastructure. So the, the point is, is, is quite simply that we believe now and in the future that we can rely through appropriate funding mechanisms all set out in the planning application on the existing infrastructure and we simply do not need the BRT to come forward to, to continue the airport's growth. There may be um, you know, advantages in... In, in the future, and, and sustainable benefits, and, and all the rest of the, uh, the things that might accrue as a result of developing such a system. But there is a difference between that and a an reliance on it, from our point of view.
17: Sorry, it was more a point for the council rather than from the airport. Was the, or maybe I didn't make my point clear? Um, it was more a point for the council to answer rather than the airport, because throughout the local plan, the importance of um, employment opportunities at Stansted are championed so it's just it's just confusing if if stands is saying that they don't expect their employees to travel does that make my point
3: yeah no i do understand the point i i can ask the council to respond on that
12: yeah well i think it's a shared objective between the council and the airport operator that people travel to work at the airport via sustainable transport modes and um Stranger is making the point about the existing uh, sustainable transport modes to the airport, Uh, but the opportunity to provide a bus rapid transit system would obviously provide another element to that network of sustainable transport solutions. So it it is an integral part of the of the plan strategy. Yes.
0: Can I just check a point? Something you said. You said you're happy to accommodate RTS but not fund or safeguard the land, and it's the safeguarding the land that's kind of of concern. If, you don't, if you're happy to accommodate it, then sometimes land has to be safeguarded, otherwise it wouldn't happen.
13: It's a, it's a fair question. Um, the, uh, the, the opportunity for a negotiated position with um, with land Securities or any other party wishing to, to bring it forward um, is is is, something that could be carried out through through ongoing discussions, but specifically safeguarding a part of the airport's infrastructure for it is a different step again. um, There is a local road access from uh, from the eastern side of the, the airport which subject to a detailed scheme coming forward which, you know that could, could be used and, and therefore wouldn't require any land to be set aside either. There, that's a matter for detail rather than at this point. But my, my, my point really is that is there a need to safeguard land for it? Well, no need has been identified for that. So that, to me, stands to be a slightly unreasonable position to have in a policy scenario. Um, but there's... Um, I think, you know, Mr. Harper touched on it, and I wouldn't want to... Uh, to uh, diverge from the position that there is a shared objective uh, for us here. There's just a difference between that and something that actually requires something quite punitive on the airport's land supply.
3: Mr Gad, you've got some... Star, sorry. You've got something on that. Uh,
15: yeah, um... I don't understand why the airport doesn't want to safeguard land for transit access. Uh, There's been discussions in previous iterations of the plan, and Landsec has talked about it before, of extending the rail link out from the airport back towards Dunmo through the Eastern Park uh, garden settlement. It would seem highly desirable... That land is uh, protected for um, uh, for those types of uses in the future. I wouldn't understand why the airport would not want that to happen if they want to continue to grow.
3: Okay, I'm. I'm not sure there's much Mr. Andrew can add add to what he said already on that. So. I'm just going to ask Ms. Mr Ather if you've got something and then I'll ask the council.
2: Thank you, Ma'am. I share this concern um, about this confusion in respect of this safeguarded land. Um, clearly, it has been proposed through the discussions that we'll have later on through um, Eastern Park in relation to the delivery of the RTS um, through that scheme that it will connect directly into to the airport. Um, and obviously provide the benefits of having um, a segregated RTS um, to to, to generate more people using it. That's one of the benefits of those particular schemes. Um, It seems slightly perverse perverse if land is not going to be safeguarded. Um, I think that's a key thing that needs to be identified through this policy as to how that will actually take place. Um, In reality, if, if, if land is not proposed to be safeguarded for it, I mean... Funding is a different question, but but having land safeguarded within what is proposed by the Council to be a land use policy um, is fairly fundamental to the success and deliverability of this taking place. Um, So I think that's a point that, that does need to be looked at, perhaps a little bit further in detail, if I may. Thank you.
3: Thank you. I'm just going to ask Mr. Warren and then I'll, I'll come back to so you and respond on all of them.
2: <clears throat> Thank you very much, Madam.
1: we oh. <clears throat> on QC for, for, Lan, for Landsec. It might help just to put our side, if you like, together with, with what uh, Mag have said on this. And um, this relates specifically to the wording in that second paragraph in SP11 under access to London Stansted Airport. You've seen from the representations, master plan, and so on that Landsec have put forward that we are pushing for the um, plan to identify a red line around the Eastern Park allocation, uh, which in part extends up to the boundary with the airport. And there are two indicative potential routes for the rapid transit through that corridor. Uh, One of them picks up Um, what the airport has said about the potential to use existing on-road infrastructure including the existing roundabout and so not to have to as it were go through um, mag operational land in order actually to get into the airport itself so I just want to make sure that's absolutely clearly understood and it seems to us there is a difference between uh, that approach facilitating enabling the Rapid transit through from the airport to Eastern Park and vice versa by having the Eastern Park allocation clearly set out with at least two options of the way to get through and requiring as a matter of policy land to be safeguarded, operational land to be safeguarded to the airport. You've seen from our representations that isn't in fact something that Landsec is uh, suggesting should be the case. We don't think that that's necessary, and if you like, that's a negative representation from LANDSEC in relation to the wording of policy SP-11. We've also said, just so that I can finish off on all of LANDSEC's relevant points on on SP-11, that last sentence in SP-11 under access to London Stansted Airport, the financial contributions point, you've heard LANDSEC through Mr Bird, I think yesterday, be absolutely clear that insofar as one is talking about the rapid transit from the airport to Eastern Park and then through to, to Great Dunmo, that they, um, those costs are to be borne and are intended to be borne by Landsec rather than by the airport. So um, it's our understanding, too, that it's not necessary and wouldn't be effective for a policy to require um, contributions from the airport in that respect.
3: I've just got Mr. Belton. I'm guessing it's on the same theme, and then we'll come to you.
8: It's just a really brief point. I think those points of clarification are really helpful. i was just going to reiterate what we said on on Tuesday, matter seven. That our concern is that as the detail starts to appear on the rapid transport system, it seems the commitments have been or have the potential to be slightly watered down, um, and you know, whether you safeguard land or not, um, I think you need to be satisfied that you are able to ensure that there is a step change in the offering, because that is obviously goes to the heart of a, a rapid transport system, as we discussed. Um, things like segregated routes, frequency of buses, is absolutely key to having that step change. And if you can't deliver those, then we're, we're not going to de- um, deliver the garden community principles that um, are embedded in the plan.
3: Thank you. Mr Harborough.
8: Yes. Thank you, ma'am. The um,
12: the issue of whether or not land needs to be safeguarded will really fall out of detailed design as the uh, bus rapid transit proposals are, are, are further finalised. Um, the important principle, which I think the policy needs to retain, is that if land does need to be safeguarded, um, that the policy should provide for that to assist development of new rapid transit options between the airport and new and existing communities. I think that's the principle which does need to be expressed in the policy.
3: And that's so, despite what we've what we've heard here today. Yes. Okay, well I think we've covered those, those points which stemmed from your <laughs> initial points. So would you want to move on to your next point and then we can...
13: Certainly, yep, yep. So uh, moving then to the airport development uh, title section. Um, as a general issue uh, for this opening paragraph, um, my point would be uh, around that this is directed solely at the environmental issues and offers no ability to have a planning balance inserted in there that would bring on social or economic issues uh, and and I feel that the uh, uh, the airport feels that the opening paragraph would be uh, better expressed um, with a uh, um, uh, with, with a sentence similar to uh, socio economic benefits that would weigh in favor of any adverse impacts or, or, or something along those lines that would that would introduce the planning balance into into the test um, but um, but then, very specifically, I suppose, uh, where it says proposals for development will only be supported, um, again, I think, in the interests of a, a plan that's proposed uh, that's prepared positively, I think it's probably a small point, but something that would, should be better said that proposals for development will be supported where all of the following criteria are met. Um, and then we move on to the to the numbered points. Um, but one and two, I have. Um, no comments about. Uh, Three, um, probably the first contentious one gets raised quite a lot. Um, I think uh, line three should be deleted. Um, I think it is a a rather circular uh, exercise to have a policy that requires proposals to be um, in line with existing permissions when there's every opportunity for planning applications to propose something different to a permission. It doesn't in itself make then that application unacceptable. That application would have to be then uh, determined on its merits so I see you no know, purpose in line three.
3: Yeah, I, I think criterion three was the one that got the that seemed to arise uh, accrue the most interest. Um, Mr Ross, would you like to?
14: Yes, criterion three in fact got the most interest <coughs> not just in 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 terms of submissions to this uh, examination. But at the Regulation 17 and Regulation 18 stage, there there was a great deal of public comment on this one, which asked for it to be more explicit, indeed asked for it to be clearly stated, that the development would only be supported up to 35 million passengers a year. And I've explained earlier how that figure came about Originally 25, and approved by the Secretary of State in December 2008, that it could increase to 35 million. We proposed to make it more explicit by referring to the permission granted by the Secretary of State. In other words, it could only be changed if the Secretary of State changed that permission. It's worth saying that the Department for Transport, the government's forecasts, do not envisage that Stansted would reach 35 million by 2033. In fact, these are forecasts referenced in the November so October 2017 Department for Transport forecast for UK Aviation. That Stansted would not reach 35 million until 20. Forty three. Now we're currently in a state of limbo, if you like, as to whether the latest permission is thirty five million or forty-three million. Either way it's two hundred and seventy-four thousand movements, which actually is um is common to the existing permission and the existing application. But this state of limbo on the passenger numbers will continue not only until Uttersford Planning Committee has decided what should happen, but uh, until any appeals have run their course and indeed there are two High Court challenges to the current provisional approval or the decision of Uttersford to to even deal with the application. And These High Court challenges won't be heard in the High Court until mid-november and could lead to appeals and so it could be 12 months before there is clarity as to whether the latest permission is 35 million or 43 million. For those reasons actually, um, the expression latest permission is is delightfully ambiguous. And might just be the exact form of words to to leave as they stand. Thank you.
3: Sorry, just to be clear then, you're you're proposing it stays as it is?
14: Yes, we're content, I think, now for it to stay as it is.
3: Okay, I'm conscious. I should. I need to come back to the council on that. So, can we have a bit more? Do you know when I have any more detail on the High Court challenges referred to there?
12: Yes, uh, I I can cover that. Uh, Perhaps before I I move on to that, to those points, um, in formulating the policy, members specifically anticipated that the latest permission might not be the 2008 permission. It. Potentially, could be um, there could be a, le- a later permission which would shift the position. So, um, I think if I understood what Mr. Ross was saying correctly, I think we're probably on the same page on that particular point. That uh, we both anticipate that, or well, we, we we both accept that things might move, have might move on at some point from the 2008 permission.
3: I think you are in line with Mr. Ross, yes, but not necessarily with Mr. Andrew, who was seeking deletion of that criteria.
12: Yes, I accept that.
3: <laughs> Do you have a response on that on that suggestion?
12: Um, I, I, I think, well, certainly the council will wish to, to retain uh, the uh, criterion three as as it was in the submitted plan. So in relation to the uh, actions in the High Court, uh, SSE have brought a claim against the Secretary of State for Transport that the proposals um, which were the subject of planning application should have been considered under the National uh, National Significant Infrastructure Projects regime and should should have been subject of uh, an application for a development consent order. Um, There's also a challenge uh, against the Secretary of State for Housing Communities and Local Government that he should have exercised his discretion to call in the planning application for determination by himself, uh, and it should not be left with the local planning authority to determine planning application. Both those claims are being held together in the – heard together in the High Court in November.
3: Okay, thank
13: you, Mr. Andrew. I think just a final point on that. Really, listening to, to the, the other respondents, uh, you know, we, we've, we've heard promotion of, the, of that line because it's sufficiently ambiguous. I, I think that says everything to me. I think you know, we need to have some clarity in the policies to what it's trying to aim at. And as I said earlier. Um, a, a, planning applications submitted not being in compliance with another planning application is not in itself um, something that should be a a point of policy. Um, And we need to separate out quite clearly here what what are development management issues and what is uh, designing a policy that is sound. Um, Two very separate points, really. So I'll just refer you back to my Reg 19 responses.
3: Okay. Since we're looking at the criterion in the policy, then was there um, anybody else with particular points going down? The, going down those one to ten in SP11, apart apart from Mr. Andrew, <laughs> Mr. Ross.
14: Yeah. Sorry. Just to clarify, it is ambiguous as between thirty-five million and forty-three million. That was the point. But at worst, the backstop, so to speak, is forty-three million. And that's an important backstop. That is comfortably above the Department of Transport's forecast. It's comfortably above Stanford Airport's forecasts, And it gives some certainty for planning in the period to 2033. And so that's why I think it is important to have some form of backstop. The only issue where I'm quite relaxed... Is the, the current warning allows that backstop to be 35 or 43, depending on the outcome of the High Court proceedings and so on. Thanks.
3: Okay, so you had something on the other criteria. I do, unfortunately. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, So, criterion four. um,
13: There's a couple of changes uh, in in here for us. Um, It starts by trying to uh, form some sort of assessment on uh, does not result in a significant increase in air transport movements, um, but significant increase is not defined anywhere, so I don't know what the difference between an increase or significant increase would look like. Um, Our suggestion was at the outset that that just needs to be deleted to... um, to just read does not result in a increase or an increase, more specifically. Um, um, that would be a catch-all then for for the following uh, as, uh, thrust of that uh, particular criterion. But um, as we move down the, uh, <clears throat> move on to the next line. Um, where it says that would adversely affect the amenities of surrounding occupiers. Um, we made the point that that was too stringently worded, and the actual fact to be in compliance with quite a lot of the MPPF, the MPSE, um, the APF, um, and go on to quite a lot of main government documents around several environmental policies, the test is always, uh, does not result in significant adverse effects. Um, if we're looking to, uh, <coughs> to avoid, <coughs> excuse me, We're looking to avoid um, um, impacts um, just to make um, planning applications acceptable. There's quite a lot of policy uh, that's quite clearly set out that uses the terms significantly adverse. So that should be added. Um, And then as a final point in that, in in the uh, section at the end in the parentheses, in terms of noise, disturbance, air quality and climate change, disturbance is not a thing that can be readily assessed. So noise, yes, we can assess that. We can assess air quality, yes. We can assess climate change, yes, but I, I'm not too sure how we would assess disturbance. Uh, that's not usually anything that forms part of an environmental assessment process. So I would suggest that that's deleted.
3: Okay, Would the council like to respond on those points?
12: Yes, so uh, I don't think the council would have an objection to uh, the remo- removal of significant before increase uh, but that needs to be coupled with Mr. Andrews' uh, subsequent change, that would significantly would would have a, a significant adverse effect. No, would significantly adverse adversely affect the amenities of the surrounding occupiers. Um, so, in combination, both those two two changes, I, I think, probably are acceptable. Um, I would suggest perhaps um, clarification of the, uh, the, the the terms in the brackets. Perhaps air and ground noise yes. might uh, capture some of the disturb. Well, might capture the disturbance which that particular um, noun conveyed. So uh, perhaps we. we there might yeah theres, there's no to
3: to there's noise earlier on in the list
12: in terms of noise disturbance air quality if air and ground were inserted before noise because you know there are two components of, of noise effects in relation to airport then that that, that, that might address the t- adequately address the disturbance point, so disturbance would then no longer be needed to be referenced specifically in the policy.
3: Okay, thank you.
4: Just just to come in on the wording, Mr Ranatunga for the Council, paragraph four, just on that second line, we can can probably produce this, of course, but um, that would result in significant adverse effects or um, significantly adversely affect. but I I prefer the former, obviously it's neater, just to be clear on the wording. Yes. (laughs) Result in significantly adverse effects.
3: <clears throat> okay
0: I wonder if what might Once we get to the end of it there's obviously various points whether following this session the council and maybe Mr Ross and Mr Andrew can come up with a, a, a set of words and, and it's clear who, who agrees with what and who doesn't agree with bits because it's quite a complicated sort of um, and there might be some areas where agreement can be reached mightn't there
13: yeah, we, we would be
14: fine to do that. Yeah, yeah I, I was going to make a similar point because um, we could be here for a very long time if we go through each of these line by line, and it's a question of he says, we say. Um, we've we've all submitted, provided you with written submissions on this. It may be actually just as you suggest. We have shortcutting this. Perhaps uh, Mr. Harbour could could have a look at all our written submissions and see whether they might just tweak this and we can you know, find some way of compromise.
0: Yeah, we we'll always come back to it at stage two hearings when we yeah. deal with the development management yes. policies and, little... and you know, if there's yeah. still arguments about odd words, but I yeah, think that's... it could be narrowed down quite a lot, probably, couldn't it? Yes,
14: and whilst it's mostly tedious points that I would be making, there is one, um, I think, just, just general point, point of principle, which I think is quite important, I will not comment on any of the other criteria. It's the reference within the council's policy that it should be that it should reflect—I can't remember the exact words—the um, airport's sustainable development plan. We just think that that's fundamentally wrong, um, insofar as the airport's sustainable development plan has no has no legal. Well, basis, there's no statutory basis. The council doesn't have a a veto over that, and it just seems illogical that that should be a determinant of the council's policy in this area. Thanks.
3: Can you just remind me where in the policy it talks about the the airport sustainable development plan? I have seen it before.
14: Criterion 8 and Criterion 10. That's right. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Okay, so if we could leave those details as just discussed, if we move back to the agenda, I think we might have covered question ten mainly. Does the policy take account of an accord with the government's aviation strategy? Or Mr Peachy.
16: Thank you, ma'am, for coming back. Just uh, just looking at the wording, um, does it cover the aviation strategy? Um And the short story is, I'm not sure that it does, and I'm looking particularly at the uh, flight paths and noise issues, because if we go back in time, the APF, the Aviation Policy Framework, is 2013, but in 2017, the Department of Transport put out a call for evidence for the aviation strategy, and they worked through that. And then in December last year, they published the Green Paper for consultation that closed on the 20th of June this year, and in that were a number of proposals um, in terms of lower noise thresholds and noise caps and things like that. And it's not clear to me, and I suspect it's a timing issue, it's not clear to me that, uh, whether SB11 takes account of those emerging proposals.
3: Thank you. Can the Council provide any clarity on that?
12: Um, Well, it's it's often the case, isn't it, that um, national policy moves on uh, beyond the position at the point that a plan is adopted. The DFT's timetable for aviation strategy uh, 2050 is to to have a white paper by uh, by the end of this year. I don't know whether they're going to adhere to that timetable or not. Um, I don't think what we can do at this point in the process is, is to speculate on what might be in that aviation strategy. So um, I think what we need to do at the moment is, is ensure that the, uh, the proposals accord with current policy and it, if that's superseded by a, any element of the aviation strategy, then that will be a, uh, a further material consideration to be taken into account in any, in any implementation of the plan.
3: Okay, thank you. If we move to question 11, do you think we need to... Yeah, it's, I mean, it's getting... It's 11 just past. I'm conscious whether we need to break or whether we think we can get through the rest of the airport and then break in time to shuffle around for item 8. Any views on that? I'm I'm happy to carry on for what it's worth.
0: <laughs> How much longer do you think people need? Because we don't want to break, we don't break now yeah, and, and then, then, break then again. two minutes later we're, we're breaking to, to shuffle the room around. But, um, I think
3: the consensus is we carry on. Yeah.
14: I've got a few things to say on question 14, but uh, exactly. well, apart from that...
3: We'll stick to the question orders and see if we can get through them then. So question 11... Has an assessment been made as to the impact of growth at the airport and the cumulative effect of airport growth in Eastern Park community on water supply and waste infrastructure? If so, what are the findings? Does anyone have anything particular on water supply and waste infrastructure? No. <laughs> Question 12. Has consideration been given to the effect of the growth of the airport on the highway network and other transport infrastructure? Mr. Peachy. Mr. Starr. Uh, uh,
15: thank you. Um, in this plan, there's an insufficient link between the demands and infrastructure that new housing brings, particularly when combined with the existing expanding airport in the countryside. Uh, Manchester, if you look around, Manchester Airport has rail tram M56 and the brand-new £300 million Manchester Eastern Link Road dual carriageway. Uh, as of July, Gatwick has one train every three minutes. That's eleven per hour compared to our four. Gatwick has just had £314 million spent on rail and M23 upgrades. Crossrail is delivering for Heathrow, and it'll have a connection to HS2. With respect to Stansted, the council's officers said that their recommendation for approval has not changed. The local planned studies show the M11 is already at capacity. On it, there are already multiple accidents a week and unfortunately a number of fatalities already this year. With respect to our rail, it's already at capacity and the daily congestion delays, particularly on the Lee Valley stretch on the run into London. The Victoria Line at Tottenham Hale is already the second most rapid, frequent rapid transit system in the world with 36 trains per hour and it cannot expand, it is vital for the transit connections from Stansted to Gatwick and Heathrow. The Stansted expansion will need double the size, adding 20 million more passengers a year, which is in addition to the 35,000 new residents from the local plan, all in the existing infrastructure mix that is already at capacity. And of course, there are many thousands more from developments in East Hearts, Harlow, and from Braintree that all feed into the same M11 railway corridor and the tube line. In Manchester, around Heathrow and Gatwick, required infrastructure investments have all been considered strategically and holistically. Ours has not been. A court will not fit into the pipe pot we have. It's not credible that no major um, and strategic investments in the M11 and railway are needed. Um, this is happening for Gatwick and Heathrow. But where is the 300 million of upgrades that we would need because we're looking to expand to about the same size of, as Gatwick? It's not clear that Highways England, Network Rail, the franchise holder for railway, and TFL were properly consulted on the combined and parallel impacts of the local plan with a large trajectory, those plans happening around us, um, and also the large airport expansion. What has actually happened is they've been treated in isolation. Each time, the authorities' response for each part of those infrastructure being consulted just on that separate matter. But they all combine. They can't be considered in isolation. They're all happening at once. We would ask that the inspectors consider that new work should be undertaken to make sure that the parallel impact of all of this happening at the same time is properly considered, and so strategic and holistic investments can be considered. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Miss, Mr. Andrew, you've got
13: your... Yeah, I, I won't repeat what is set out in, um, in any of our submissions because you've got those in, in writing, which go, go through issues, what was in the planning application, what wasn't in the planning application. But I think I'd just say one, one point, is that it is simply not the case that um, uh, these things have been considered in isolation, um, uh, in compliance with um, uh, you know the rules and regulations surrounding environmental impact assessments, the cumulative effect... Um, of our development at the airport 43 million and indeed uh, background housing growth allocations which I'm sure you've heard in separate sessions so far this week have all been actually taken into account in those assessments and those responses are in written form from all the relative relevant agencies concerning the uh, highway and rail network
3: thank you the council
12: yes thank you Uh ma'am The position is, is, I think, clearly set out in our our hearing statement on on this particular matter. Um, I think it's inconceivable to suggest that Highways England, uh, Network Rail and the transport operating companies were not aware of both the local plan growth and the the proposed um, additional passenger throughput at Stansted Airport in responding to consultation.
3: Mr Ross.
14: Sorry, my microphone wasn't on. Mr Starr summarised a number of the key issues. If I explain one of the principal reasons why we stopped slanted expansion have pressed and pressed and pressed for the planning application to be dealt with nationally rather than locally was to ensure that it received the level of scrutiny necessary, and particularly in relation to surface access. The two key pinch points are Junction 8 of the M11 and the West Anglia mainline. Whether there is enough capacity in those two areas to deliver the housing projections and to deliver the expansion of the airport in our judgement there is not by a long long way uh, we happen to disagree with the council on that point but already, already today there are signs of capacity um, constraints both in relation to junction 8 of the M11 and the West Anglia mainline and I urge you to look at those two issues much more closely. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Sorry, Mr Sprunt, were you
12: yeah, I, looking I don't to, know to I mean, We obviously have talked about Junction 8 previously and the fact that uh, we do have uh, the scheme which is uh, due to start later this year which is going to uh, uh, allow an increase in traffic over uh, short to medium term uh, and that uh, Highways England do have uh, a scheme on their, their list to submit for uh, their RIS programme um, the current one is, is going to be RIS 2 uh, and in theory if it didn't go into there it would still stay on the, on the list to go to RIS 3 so they have identified a need um, to do something more major at Junction Eight, excuse me, over and above uh, what we're already proposing.
3: Okay, thank you. So, if we move to, oh, sorry, Mrs. Sir.
15: Yeah, I'd just like to echo Mr. Sprunt's comments in that, uh, you know, painting a few white lines around Junction Eight. Uh, might sort something out in the short-term and the mid-term, but this is a plan for the long-term. And to Mr Ross's points, this infrastructure needs to be properly and holistically considered. Thank you.
3: Okay. So if we move to question 13, which which concerns airport-related car parking, does the policy adequately control that? Anyone with any points on 13? Mr. Williams.
18: Thank you, ma'am. Actually, it's Rob Wells, not Rob Williams, from, but I am from Williams Gallagher, which is maybe where the confusion slightly lies. Um, I'm here on behalf of our clients who are Holiday Extras Limited and Air Parks Services Limited, who provide, operate, and manage airport car parking both on airport and off airport. And I think a term um, the airport car park-related elements of the, the policy, uh, whilst our clients are supportive of a criteria-based sort of based assessment for off-site provision, I think as written, it's effectively a closed loop, which means that in no, in no circumstances would any off-site parking potentially be able to be provided if there was insufficient parking coming forward through the airport provision itself. Um, when you look at the three criteria, which of course need to be renumbered in accordance with the previous numbering because they're, they're re- reproducing numbers nine and ten, for example. Um, one of them, is, one of the criteria, it says that all the criteria have to be achieved and, um, adhere to, but the first point obviously is that it it can be demonstrated that long-term car parking need, it cannot be met within the airport allocation well I'm sure there's a potential for it to be able to be, the question is whether it would be and what happens in that situation, so I I think we would be um, we would be suggesting that the wording might be changed in clause 9 as written at the moment to rather than being that cannot be should we be saying is not being provided and then finally on the point 12 then it says again it's in accordance with the most recent sustainable development plan for London Stansted, again which uh, you've heard from previous speakers isn't a development plan document and therefore is, is non-statutory in that sense but also the core objective within that document is that all parking should be provided within, within the actual airport area so effectively the criteria is written means that no off-site parking, if there was a need for it, could ever come forward to comply with the policies as written. So you'll see, you'll have seen from our Reg 19 suggestion that we think there should be a, a regular monitoring and publication of the delivery of parking and what parking problems there may have been um, for other operators to potentially to be able to use that as a criteria-based assessment for the council to then judge should an application come forward. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Would the Council like to respond on. Just checking there's nobody else. No, airport car parking.
12: Yes, thank you, ma'am. Uh, it's a long standing principle that there should be adequate land provided for within the airport to accommodate the needs for long term car parking within the airport site. Uh, there is capacious provision within the airport site. Um, and um I don't think the policy should be encouraging uh, provision for car parking outside the airport site um, un- unless it can be demonstrated that uh, I don't think it's highly unlikely uh, unless it can be demonstrated that those needs cannot properly be met within the airport airport boundary uh, there are a range a number of uh parking operators within the airport site it's not all um provided by the airport operator.
3: Okay. In terms of the detailed drafting points raised, would there there be any merit in Mr Mr. Wells joining the discussions already mooted with Mr Andrew and Mr Ross in terms of coming up with some wording that, that might be beneficial to all parties?
4: Uh, yes, quite, uh, Mr Ranatunga, we're quite happy for him to be involved in that. Obviously, his particular interest is in the airport-related car parking, so I wouldn't want to open it out more generally, but as long as it is, he could certainly be part of that um, conversation.
18: Okay. Yeah, we're happy with that, so we'll, we'll be in touch with the council afterwards, yes.
3: Right, thank you. So, question 14 is... Is it appropriate for the North Stansted employment area to be made available for non-airport-related employment purposes? I think this might be where Mr Ross had a question on 14.
14: Thank you, ma'am. In fact, I've got some comments on on, on this point. um, The North Stansted employment area is, is about 55 hectares And the total airport site, just in context, is nine and a half thousand hectares. The current position is that it can only be used for activities which are directly related to the operation of the airport, and it's proposed to change this designation to B1B2B8 employment use, which is not airport related. We have no objection in principle to this de-designation um, but there's an important provisal. We wish to see the airport boundary redrawn so as to exclude the North Stansted employment area from within the airport perimeter. Now, I need to explain why we attach such importance to what may appear to be a technical point. The principle that Stansted should be an airport in the countryside was enshrined way back in the 80s when Stansted was designated to be London's third airport and it was to pro- provide reassurance to the local community that it wouldn't lead to great urbanisation it would, it would respect the rural environment and that's not just rhetoric there's been this long-standing policy supported by the airport, by the council, by the government that Stan should remain an airport in the countryside. And there are some key elements to that policy. The nine and a half thousand acre site allows for lots of landscaping within the airport. There's a countryside protection zone that surrounds the airport. And development within the airport perimeter is strictly limited to airport-related activities. I should explain, 9,500 hectares, incidentally, is almost as big as the Heathrow site and substantially larger than the Gatwick site. We'd be concerned about setting a precedent if you just make an exception for the area north, to, to the north of the runway, the North Stansted Airport area, because then what would be to prevent businesses? Or warehouses and offices on the south side looking to develop more widely as general business parks and that would detract from the principle of the airport in the countryside and it's not just a hollow concern in recent years there have been two planning applications for businesses within the airport one for an office development the other for warehousing where they wanted to conduct or develop non-airport related activities both of those came to planning committee. Both of those were rejected at planning committee, despite officers' support for them. Only one went to appeal, and the inspector thankfully upheld the principle of the airport and the countryside, and, and only within the airport... Sorry, only airport-related development would be allowed on the airport site. So, in simple terms, the logical thing to do is to remove the North Stanford employment area from within the airport boundary, allow it for general business use, and we have no objection on that basis. And we urge you to make that amendment if you can. Thank you,
3: Mr. Andrew.
13: Thank you. Um, just to um, go back to the starting point uh, of your question, then I'll, I'll maybe come to some of the points that Mr. Ross has raised and, and hopefully provide some detail on that for you. Um, in short, it is appropriate that uh, the land is allocated uh, for non-aviation uh, uses or for the potential for non-aviation uses, and that's the subtle point, but yet the important one. Um, Taking a step further back to the last plan, local plan examination, uh, we rehearsed the arguments at that stage about um, whether or not um, the north side of the airport was appropriate for um, uh, general employment uses. The situation hasn't changed. Um, the fact remains that of the original um, layout of the airport that was at the north side of the of the, which is distinctly very much at the west, I must say, of the airport. It's just historically called Northside, just to confuse everybody, quite frankly. Um, uh, since the airport um, operations, the core oper- operations, moved to the other side of the airfield, uh, where the existing terminal is, um, the uh, the world has moved on considerably since the 80s, when that was originally planned, and the concentration of the activity, the core aviation activity, is all now at the south side of the airport, um, thus rendering quite a lot of the land at the north side of the airport um, underutilised so it's always the case that um, as, you, as you can drive around the, the north side of the business park around there and see the level of utilisation un, uh, it's, it's quite apparent um, but that also rolls into some of the airfield as well which is underutilised so the proposition in the local plan is very much that there is a, a better use uh, that could be made of that land if the restriction of aviation related uses is lifted i put it in those terms simply because we are not saying that aviation-related uses could not come forward. There could be quite a host of businesses and occupational demand where businesses would uh, would maybe have a 50-50 split of aviation and non-aviation activity, um, or be wholly non-aviation-related, or or in fact actually represent some high-tech manufacturing of of aviation components that... um, that would be well-suited to the location. So that's about creating flexibility and opportunity for new businesses to come to the area. But it's important, then, that 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 site is is not released from the operational area, as Mr Ross suggests, for two two points. First of all, if there is to be um, aviation-related uses and new new, uh, occupiers there that do require access to the airfield and have an airside frontage, it would be entirely relevant that, therefore, they fall within the operational area of the airport um, so that um, we as the airport operator can meet, our, um, uh, meet, meet the requirements of, uh, of the operational lander set out in the Town-to-Country Planning Act. But also that the point about preserving um, the countryside um, location or the boundary, or more specifically the landscape protection boundary, would still remain um, whether, whether that site is in or out of the uh, airport boundary. and i draw your attention at that point to the appendix that I um, set with uh, uh, our response to the um, uh, note for the responses to your questions for the inquiry, which is a, a letter that um, uh, we'd addressed to um, um, Gordon Gunday, the Assistant Director. As we've moved forward with... Um, developing the site and identifying you know, some of the more detailed arrangements we've noted a very slight inconsistency with the landscape belt that exists on the ground uh, and the policy wash that, that exists in the local plan and there's a slight consistency it's set out in the in the uh, the letter and the uh, the drawing so we we'll, won't we'll rehearse that entirely but what you can take from that aside from the amendment that is sought is that it is our firm intention that that landscape boundary remains and that that landscape boundary is protecting um, any impact that may arise from any development in that site on the local surrounding communities.
3: Okay, thank you. I think I think perhaps the landscape, the boundary and the maps and the details is is another one for the discussion with the council if you if you agree. Did you have anything on those points?
12: Just just briefly, um, I'm sure you've noted that the matter of principle of uh, uh, restrictions on the use of this particular part of the airport site is a common position between Mr. Ross, myself, and Mr. Andrew. There is no uh, threat to the principle of the airport in the countryside in these, these particular proposals. Mr. Ross mentioned a couple of development management cases, what is being proposed here in this policy as a plan led approach to um, introducing uh, some scope for flexibility in relation to a particular defined part of the airport, which is on the other side of the runway to the development management cases to which Mr. Ross referred. Um, so, um, yes, I think we're, we are on the same page on this particular issue.
3: Okay, sorry, I'm, Mr. Ross. I'm sorry, on? I
14: just need to come back just so there's for the avoidance of doubt. Um, in the, the council statement, they, they, they make clear there's no evidence that the rest of the land, this is the North Downs employment area, will be required for aviation purposes for the local plan period or beyond. I say again, it's 55 hectares out of 9,500 hectares. There's ample room for development of airport-related businesses on site. And, of course, it can be mixed use. But there are, there are commercial premises in close proximity to the airport at Thremhall Park, at Start Hill, at Parsonage Lane, Stansted. All of those, all of those have airport-related businesses and non-airport-related businesses. We see no reason why the North Stansted employment area cannot be put into the same category as those. Why what needs to be inside the airport perimeter. And there's no need to change the landscape boundary. That doesn't directly affect us. Thank you.
3: Okay, thank you. So that takes us to the final question, which is 15. Should the plan seek to secure affordable housing close to the airport for airport workers? Obviously, I've seen the written representations on on this matter, but did anybody have anything to raise today?
14: Actually, I do just want to make a general comment about this. Um, It's difficult to imagine what the price of an affordable house would be for an airport worker, when the average earnings at the airport are around £24,000 a year, far lower than the average for And I think it's important to recognise that this is the reason why there are fewer Atlesford employees working at the airport than there were 15 years ago, not just in percentage terms, but in absolute terms, there are now fewer than 2,000 Uttersford employees work at the airport. As time goes by, fewer and fewer local people work at the airport. In fact, someone suggested to me that the ideal planning solution to this, the explanation for this, is that people who generally move into Uttersford and buy houses in Uttersford these days, because of the price of the houses – take jobs, higher paid jobs, commute to London. And the planning solution really is to move Stansted Airport to the east end of London and move Canary Wharf to Uttlesford. Now that might be beyond your pay grade. (laughs) But uh, I think you understand the general point that's being made. And for that reason, I think it would just be um, ineffectual to 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 provide look, affordable housing in close proximity to the airport. Thank you.
3: Okay. Thank you. That's that's everything on. Um, oh, um, Mr. Roberts, wanted to. Say. Oh, sorry, Mr. Roberts, I missed you. Mm-hmm.
6: Thank you uh, once again, Jamie Roberts, for Endurance Estates and for homes and Martin Grant. Um, I'd actually completely echo the comments of Mr. Ross. It's um, it's really important that there is good availability of affordable housing um, in and near the airport, um, and and that is something that, that we would would wholeheartedly. Oh, can't get my words out, wholeheartedly support. Um, there are opportunities through the, through the local plan and its strategy to do that. Um, and I refer you to our Reg 19 reps um, on, on both, uh, both clients.
3: Okay, thank you. Well, I think that is everything now on matter six. So we needed at least a 20 minute break to. to oh, sorry, uh, again. Yeah. And it's actually
9: an administrative point so I'll, if i could i raise it now yeah it, it's simply that obviously a lot of people will be leaving after matter six and one of the um issues arising out of all of the new documents is um a deadline for any written representations and i just wonder whether that could be discussed now rather than at the end of the day because um we'd quite like to go
0: yeah. <laughs> we won't take that personally <laughs> Yeah, we had a discussion last night as to what date we thought was reasonable. Um, the date we were going to set was next Friday. I don't know if that gives anybody any particular problems, if people sort of got going jetting off on the holidays today for a week or anything. But that seemed to us to be a reasonable, because then there might be a bit of to in and fro in as well between um, parties.
3: I was just oh, there's a, there's a discussion going on over there sorry,
8: Mr. I, I was just going to ask if there was a reason why it was sort of such a tight turnaround is, is there another deadline that's sort of focusing your mind or
0: other than as we'll explain at the end of today we obviously need to consider everything that's put to us and and respond to the council um, uh, obviously that we get comments back, say, next Friday, and then there might be an, be a need then for the council or other people to potentially... So that won't be the end of it. It might go on for a couple of weeks after that. We can extend it, but that means that, obviously, the whole process takes longer in terms of us considering all these points and getting our letter to the council, um, setting out what happens next, if you like.
8: So. I, I mean, from our perspective, just, just given the quantum of information that's come out, I think we, we would appreciate a little longer than a week given the availability of the team but uh, i'll leave that with you
0: In what would be i mean we're happy to be flexible but sometimes you've got to start with one day because if yeah. you give people a month they'll take a month do you know what i mean it's kind
8: indeed. of indeed i mean and we had a conversation about this and we thought you know you you might come back giving maybe two weeks uh, as a minimum but uh, that would certainly help us um,
0: yeah, I mean, as I was going to say, at the end of today, both Miss Worthington and I have got various leave over over August. I'm involved in a Section 78 inquiry over August, so we've got lots of other things going on. So we've, it's, it's going to be a while before we can sort of put our heads together anyway and go go through lots of. Um, the documentation and things and there's a lot to think about as you'll appreciate we've heard a lot of evidence over the last couple of weeks and lots of again for us documents that we still need to read. Miss Hutton what seems reasonable to you? I don't yes
9: our, our, our feeling was two weeks just two in weeks. light of the fact that this is the sort of written rep route has allowed us to avoid an adjournment which would of course have been a lot a more lot disruptive right. a lot longer so we would ask for for the 2nd of August which would be Friday, it would be the next Friday, as it were,
0: okay, um yeah, I mean, I'm actually tied up all that following week um with the section seventy eight um inquiry um I think you're on leave then, aren't you? so I mean, even if we made it so if people are gonna be struggling, even if we said the fifth, just to give a little bit longer, the fifth of um August, so it kind of gives another weekend for anybody. I know not everybody works weekends, but <laughs> does that seem... You, there was obviously some discussion. Yes,
2: we, we were struggling for a week, um, right. but I think I think that time frame seems... Um, Two weeks and a couple of days, it seems reasonable. if we said the f-
0: close of play on the 5th, so that gives... Yeah. And I say I'm tied up most of that week anyway, so... Uh,
2: I, that would be helpful that for us. That wouldn't give us Thank any you. particular. Problems. Sorry, just
4: Mr. Ranatunga for the council, j- just yes. to say that we're content with that, obviously. Um, and um, the thing that the question that was raised, the issue that was <laughs> raised, is that these will genuinely be responses to the documents that have come in after that first week, isn't it? Um, and, and they won't go more widely than that because it, they were specific questions that you asked, which we um, responded to with um, documents. There was then further. Um, questions and we came back with, with more and then there's the statements of common ground that's really the three areas that have been covered um, we're just keen that we don't get a sort of more wider spectrum of responses which cover other issues
0: I wonder if it might be worth between um, us and the council maybe by we um, start maybe working on it tomorrow but by beginning of next week get a note out that maybe lists those documents and sets, sets the timescale for anybody that's not here today and Explains that those those comments need to be restricted to those documents. We don't want to open the floor again to to everything. Um, would that be helpful? And, and again, for the people that are not here today, there's quite a lot of people that have been here over the last couple of weeks. that are not here, Mr. Dodson? There are
17: other documents apart from council documents that have been received. Yes, the Landsex ones Absolutely, today, for yes. instance. So, will... so it's a wider.
0: So we'll try and list all of them between us and the council. We'll list them. Um, I mean, we've got a record of them, so that should be fairly easy to set out in a note that will come from us via the programme officer, but um, agreed between us. Um, and we'll try and get that sent out by Monday, but it depends on a little bit on availability of um, people in the council and ourselves. Okay, does that seem a good way forward for everybody?
8: Could I just ask just one question? And, and I think I know the answer to this, but am I right to assume there aren't any other reports, new material expected, say, for anything that might come up this afternoon?
3: I'm not aware of it. Well, I I was also going to ask that question because, well, a statement of common ground between Landsat and Uttlesford Council was mooted yesterday. Is, the, is that likely to land or...? Yes,
9: Mr so Warren, I'm sure so I go
1: first, given that there are two, two people to speak on that? It's probably best to hear the council as well. Um, I, the answer is that I hope so. I hope so. I mean, out of the discussion that we're about to start having will come a few things, no doubt, that will feed into that. There are, there, there are only two or three points, really, that are really holding up the signing of that statement of common ground. So I very much hope so. It won't have, I think I'm right in saying, um, attached technical attachments to it, though. It'll just be a statement of common ground.
0: So is that likely to land before we start talking about that's what we kind of under or, or will it happen after the session? That's the uh,
7: so as as I understood it and, and relayed it on, on Tuesday, I, I said I, that I thought we were very close to, to signing it. Um, it, discussions with the people who are working on that at the moment, um, that is still the case, I believe. Um, so I, I don't anticipate it being signed, uh, and, and delivered to you today. Um, for that.
0: OK, but it might come in the next few days. I wonder if you can, maybe when we get to the Eastern Park, between you can sort of run through where you're up to yeah. and where the sticking points are, if you like. Absolutely. That yeah. might be the most I plan- helpful I was way. planning
1: to do that because, as I say, they're pretty well defined and they're relevant to the first question for Eastern Park, so I'll do it then.
0: That's fine. The, the important thing is we don't have any surprises that appear after this discussion that open up uh, open up another can of worms, if you like.
7: Uh, my understanding is that at least one of the points has been discussed in, in the sessions already.
0: So, if we break now until, um, oh, Mr. William. what? Uh, sorry, what was S- sorry ma'am. It's just
18: a clarification on the admin side of things. Um, You've invited the, the council to discuss with various of the speakers today in terms of potential rewording of various paragraphs and clauses. Um, are you expecting the council to initiate those response, that discussions individually with, with the various speakers rather than the speakers going to the council with suggestions in the first instance and secondly do you want those responses back by the 5th of August as well
0: I, I think there's less importance in terms of getting those back because they, they th- they're things that could be dealt with at um, the stage 2 hearings we could bring those back there because they're effectively sort of like development management policy issues which um, yeah, they're not going to require further evidence or whatever, the, the sort of things that can be done in the background and when it's convenient, when that discussion's taking place, they come back to us and those can be rolled onto to that, um, that programme. I mean, if there's agreement, then it's fairly straightforward. They'll go on to a list of main modifications, but if there's sort of some areas of disagreement, then it's useful just to highlight those so we can have a discussion about those again in the future, but it sort of narrows it down, hopefully. So you've got plenty of time to do that, yeah. In terms of who's going to initiate it, Mr Miles, how do you, would you prefer that to happen?
7: I think it makes sense for the council to to initiate it.
0: Where everybody comes to the table and discusses it, yeah, okay. Mr
2: Ather. Just a very quick point of clarification. In terms of that deadline for additional um, reps, will that include the uh, Jacobs note that was circulated, I think on the 11th of July as well, within that time frame to respond to
0: yes it will be everything but everything. we'll list it on monday we'll list perfect. all those documents that we want to or happy to hear um yep. any additional points on um and obviously if it's not in that list um and you think it should be then obviously raise it with we'll the council yep. um but we don't want to open up it too no, wide because it would go on forever <laughs> yeah. and, and we'd end up having to rerun these sessions yeah perfect um, thank you okay thank you It's now nearly quarter if we break until five past twelve and that just and if you can move away from your seats so that Louise can um, reorder everybody and uh, etc and if people need to leave, happy to for that.
10: Please hold your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold your meeting has been
11: temporarily adjourned.
10: Please hold your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
11: Please hold your
10: meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold your 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 meeting has been temporarily adjourned Please hold your meeting has been temporarily adjourned Please hold your meeting has been temporarily adjourned Please hold your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. 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 Please hold your meeting has been
11: temporarily adjourned.
10: Please hold your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. 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 Please hold your meeting has been
11: temporarily adjourned.
10: Please hold your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. 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 Please hold your meeting has been
11: temporarily adjourned.
10: Please hold your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. 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 Please hold your meeting has been
11: temporarily adjourned.
10: Please hold your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
11: Please hold your
10: meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold your 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 meeting has been temporarily Got a
0: seat who needs one. So we're now on to um, the overrun of Matter 8 from yesterday, which is um, Eastern Park Garden Community Policy SP6. A lot of the questions follow a similar format to the ones um, that we've had in previous days, so it may be that some of the points have been covered in a, in a general um, sense. As we, As I explained this morning, for anybody that wasn't here then, there has been some documents uh, submitted uh, a statement of common ground and appendices um, only this morning so I'll ask the parties in a moment to to briefly cover um, what's in those for the benefit of everybody Um, also point out um, which is relevant is the change in numbers at Eastern Park Garden Community following the change in the council's trajectory Um, and there is a typo on the agenda so it says capable of delivering 5,000 homes um it should be ten thousand homes. Not sure what happened there. And um and it's and it now should say sixteen twenty five in the plan period, which reflects the council's updated trajectory. Do the council want to say anything or Mr Warren, about the um document before we start?
7: The recently submitted one. Uh, That's a statement of common ground between um, LANSEC and the County Council.
0: Mr Warren, did you want to address?
1: Uh, Yes, can I just take up two points? Um, The document itself, um, to which you just referred, ED52, now so called in the 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 library. (laughs) Um, uh, The statement of common ground between LANSEC and the County Council, the one that I referred to earlier on, and I noticed um, the program officer very kindly handing out hard copies of this uh, about half an hour or so ago. Um, the, um, as I said earlier, it is a statement of common ground between Lansec and the County Council, the Highways Authority, uh, and it has attached to it two documents. At so Appendix A, a document called Eastern Park Bus Rapid Transit Addendum, um, which is a, a, a county highways um, report, with other contributions um, and you'll see um, the date of its finalisation on, on page Roman one 11th of 11th of July it um, deals with the um, demand and viability aspects of the uh, BR BRT rapid transit Um, between the airport through Eastern Park to Great Dunmore and vice versa. Um, The the introduction to it, the operational cost, the usage, and then the summary of findings, reaching the conclusion that that link on its own, if you like, would be viable and deliverable. Um, And the second um, annex is uh, Appendix B. It's a WYG document, Entitled district-wide transport study technical note 10 west of Great Dunmow Garden Community uh, Sensitivity Testing. It's, even though it's entitled that way, we're talking about Eastern Park, obviously, in that, in that document. Uh, and it, it looks at a number of different scenarios, uh, scenarios 34 to 37, I think they are, at table 2.1 on page... table 1 on page 1 of the note... And it looks at different uh, um, sensitivity tests, assumptions about um, trip rates and growth which may affect the Eastern Park development in combination with certain other things. It it arose, as I understand it, from um, uh, questions that people had raised earlier on in the process uh, to ensure complete coverage of all the, the reasonable scenarios that might arise. Um, the only other point ma'am can can I just pick up your point on the um the qu- question one whilst it's right for t- for this session whilst it's right to say that one should amend the one nine two five it um to accord with the council's adjusted number as we said when that document arose the other day I don't think at the moment the council is saying that necessarily represents their final view about the deliverable figure and obviously we will cover briefly why it should be the higher of those numbers rather than the 1600 the 1900 again in 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 things we say in a few minutes time
0: that's fine, and we did have a discussion yesterday, I think it was, uh, where the Council, through Mr Bedford, I think, agreed that probably the, there needs to be some harmonisation of the wording of the policies for the garden communities, where it says that it's a minimum number, so there's no cap on um, on the number. If developers can provide faster, then all to the good, um, but yes. it's a sort of indicative number, really. That's a, that, that
1: too, yeah. absolutely right, ma'am, that, that too, but in terms of what one can, should reasonably expect as part of the trajectory... We, we, we say um, that the, the 1600 odd figure really stems from the later start date if there's a DPD in a sequential planning application, and we're urging you to, to suggest to the council that a different approach be taken, then that has an effect on the numbers. So we'll come back to that. <laughs>
0: Okay, so um, question one, what evidence is there to demonstrate that the proposed Eastern Park Garden community is capable of delivering 10,000 homes, 1625, in the plan period? So obviously this covers transport as well. If people, we've obviously only got 50 minutes to lunchtime now, so I'm, what I suggest is if there's... If there's um, people want to read um, for themselves the statement of common ground on transport, we can deal with that after lunch because um, I appreciate people have only sort of had it dropped and they might have had a quick break um, so we'll deal with that then. Ms. Foster, do you want to? Um,
19: I'd just like if, if possible we could have clarification as to the document that's appended to it because it's dated June 2019 am I missing something? has this been handed out Today, or has it been up on the website earlier? No, I'm not aware of its existence. Before I did not find it either, but I didn't want to make is this aspersions the that this maybe. One? Uh, yeah, the that's one that's July. That's his July. No, this is the next document. It's the. It's, it came in the statement of common ground that we've just. For so the discussing. white, young, green.
0: Sorry, where is there a date on it?
19: Yeah, it's... Oh, at the bottom of the page it says
0: June, doesn't it? Yeah.
19: I mean, I'm just wondering, because I think there's a lot of concern by local residents that are sitting here through this process as to whether we're chasing a moving target, whether there's been fair play in information being provided to us in a timely way. I mean, I know you've given us the possibility of responding to the information in writing. That is no way as effective as being able to interrogate the document, having had adequate opportunity to review it, discuss it with our transport consultant. My clients hired a transport consultant, and I understand that due to the programming, he can't be here, and I'm going to do my best in his absence. That's a separate problem to getting information. It's dated June on the morning that we're discussing the Great Dunmo Allocation there's a real question about fairness, and I know Ms. Hutton has said repeatedly we need to have a session on transport. If this doesn't prove it, I don't know what does now, because it's very new information attempted to justify gaps in the information that we have long said exists. So I'm putting that marker down. I don't understand why we're getting it this morning as opposed to getting it in June. So I don't know if there's an answer. I don't know if it was something that was being worked on and the date's incorrect, but it feels as a matter of fairness that we're being ambushed on the day of the dis- hearing on this matter with new information. I find that very unfair, and I don't think it accords with the fairness principles that you would expect and that my clients expect.
0: Yeah, and it's for that reason that we're saying that, uh, and once I get all that information, then, you know, it may be that we decide we need more sessions, but until I see what people are saying, so that's the first stage, um, in some ways, you could argue that you're at advantage now because you've not got your transport consultant here, but he's going to have a chance to look at this and respond in writing. So that's of a benefit to your particular arguments.
19: No, I do, um, I do appreciate that, but I think there are other people here who feel... I think the phrase was nailing jelly to the wall. What are, we to re- what are they to respond to? Well, I've got the benefit of a technical consultant, but others may not have that. And There, there is a big question about the way... The transport issues have been evolving very late in the plan process. And I'm going to put that concern in context because I sat in this room with Roy Foster in December 2014 when he was raising questions about the adequacy of the transport information to support what was then the Elsinore allocation. I think it needs to be looked in the whole as to what's actually happened in the last four years, four and a half years.
0: Yeah, and we've expressed concern ourselves about the late information submitted. We can't not accept it. We have to accept it, Um, and it's how we deal with it going forward, and we'll we'll take a view on that once we receive comments on it. Some of it's of more significance than others, as you'll appreciate. What we've tried to do as we go along is get people to explain it so that people have some understanding the reason we're going to deal with the transport stuff after lunch is so that people have at least a lunch break to look through it, um, and that's the best we can do. Okay. okay. Question one, bearing in mind that we'll leave the transport um, matters till um, two o'clock. Mr. Belton.
8: Th- thank you, Mom. Um You recall that I made a submission on... Um, trajectory yesterday but uh, there are just a few further points I think are worth uh, noting and I I won't speak for long but I'd like to refer you to two documents I don't know if it's helpful to have those in front of you which is ED30 which is the uh, council's response to AA6 and AA7
0: Is this the DPD?
8: DPD and Garden Community Timetable update, yeah that's right. And then the other document I will just quickly refer to is ED48 which is um, I think it's Landsex note on timing of commencement of house building at Eastern Park Uh, which one is it you say ED48 is matter 5 question 6 so it's a a four page written document from Landsec with a, a table with their thoughts on trajectory which is quite a helpful table that I'd just like to Cross-reference to. Oh, yeah. okay. Does that all make sense? Uh, and then just the it. That's it. yeah. It's probably just ED30 and ED48, if I'm honest. But um, so so you'll remember from yesterday, we we made some comments about the trajectory that the council have put together in ED30, um, which we said yesterday was. Um, very tight didn't have any flexibility and overly optimistic but just to remind ourselves if you walked through the council's trajectory assuming that promoters do twin track the outline application with the dpd the council is saying that that would see um deliveries on site of 50 units commencing uh, or being completed rather by march 2023 and that was reflected in the revised trajectory we got last night, which shows development at both Eastern Park and North Uttlesford commencing in 2324. 24 um, Now, to, if you turn to document ED-48, um, LUNSEC have very helpfully done their own sort of trajectory, and it covers kind of four scenarios, really, which is touching on this SPD-DPD question, which I'm sure we'll come on to later on, and also deals with this question of are they likely to twin-track an outline application with the DPD? But um, there's a couple of points I'd just like to draw your attention to. So in, in line six of the landsec table, you'll note that there's a comment there about allowing time to select a JV house builder and gives a time allocation of six months. Which you'll probably remember is the point I made yesterday. I think I also said that you should allow six months in the trajectory for that. Now, now that is completely absent in ED30. Uh, the council don't allow any time for promoters to find house builders. And, and we think, as I said yesterday, that's an omission which will push the council's trajectory into the following monitoring year um, in, in its own right. If you then scroll down, um, Landsec say in their first comment, uh, first column rather, that They would see the first 50 units being completed in September 2024. So that's circa, what's that, sort of 18 months later than the council are assuming. Uh, We say if uh, you assume that promoters will twin track an outline application with the DPD, that the Landsec trajectory is more realistic uh, and, in our view, is much closer to passing the test of soundness than the council's version, which is an ED30. Um, and I think the, the step-by-step approach Lansack have taken reinforced the points that I you know, and others made yesterday, and, and our concerns about uh, the council's submissions in ED thirty. Um, my only other point on this matter is is this question of will promoters twin track um, outline applications and TPDs. Uh, we we know from the the written comments uh, that the council has provided in document ED thirty, where they say you know in. in In the recent meeting with LANSEC on the 10th of July, it's been indicated that they are, as it stands, highly unlikely to twin track given levels of uncertainty, and I can understand those levels of uncertainty given the amount of information that has been pushed back to the DPD process. But despite that being LANSEC's stated position as as I understand it, I don't know whether that's moved on but no doubt Mr Warren will update us if it has moved on but I I take that as their stated position Um, but what the council go on to say is that despite LANSEC saying that, they're hopeful or confident that um, they will come round to the idea of twin tracking um, as we go through the process Now, now that to me seems again incredibly optimistic and for your uh, duty to test soundness, we think, is overly optimistic. Um, so, given you know what the promoters themselves are saying, we would urge you to take a more, in our view, sensible and realistic approach. And that would see, if we follow this through in date-wise, that that would see first completions um, commencing. There uh, well, be first 50 com- completions being there by September 2025 which is obviously a further pushback in the trajectory. Now, we'll come on to you later on today to, to discuss what that actually means when you look at delivery rates, et cetera, but, but our view is that the start dates for both North Attersford as we raised yesterday, and Eastern Park, uh, should be more in line with what LANSEC are presenting to you in, in document ED48, and the trajectory should be once again updated to reflect that.
7: Uh, thank you. I think we, well, as Mr Belton suggests, we have, we have discussed this previously. Um, with regard to twin tracking, uh, Mr Belton is correct. Um, our document ED30 um, does assume a level of twin tracking of the planning application with the DPD, despite what LANSEC currently think, and... Um, as I said uh, on either yesterday or, or Tuesday, I can't recall now, um, the, they have expressed their concern to us uh, around twin-tracking the DPD and the panic application being linked to what is within the DPD, the content of it. The councillors of the view that um, once uh, a consultation version of the DPD is published that view is likely to change and they will be willing to progress uh, planning application alongside the DPD. Um, Grosvenor have already indicated that they are planning to twin-track planning application alongside the DPD as per their uh, Matter 4 statement. Um, Just looking a little at the detail of um, ED 30... Uh, you can see the second page on the, of the table in that document has at, on the second row the pre-application process which in the uh, second column from the right apologies for the referencing um, shows Landsec's, uh timetable without any twin tracking in which they would start the, the pre-outline application process in September 21. Uh, and the, the column which we indicate to the right of that, in which we say when the DPD will be published for consultation in January 2020, they will feel comfortable, they are likely to feel comfortable um, with twin tracking the planning application.
0: Thank you. Did you want to come back on that?
8: Yeah, just very quickly. I mean, I, I'm not going to speak on behalf of Lancet, but um, it's, it's good of the Council to think that they'll be feeling comfortable, but at the end of the day, it's not them who will be writing the cheques that will need to be written to pay for the preparation of an application. Um, we would just reiterate what we said yesterday. You know, In our view, flexibility is crucial to the soundness of this plan and there is no flexibility in the council's trajectory uh, if the land promoters themselves are saying we have some severe concerns um about uh, twin tracking uh, that to me is a red flag moment um and uh, you, you in my view that's that shows that the council's approach is, is is as i say just too optimistic and and that important word flexibility has has been lost in the drafting of it
0: thank you mr warren
1: Thank you. Um, The um, uh, representations that LANSEC have made, um, which are relevant to your first question under matter rate, I I just want to focus on those. Um, They are, um, as it were, proper reps in that they seek changes to to make the plan sound. Um, And what I'm just about to say for 30 seconds um, isn't a a promotion of the site, but is directly relevant to why we say what we do about the DPD. And this, and this uh, policy being unsound at the moment. Um, you, you have the, um, the 10,000 uh, unit illustration in the form of the master plan. Uh, and um, th- that and the technical work which has been submitted demonstrates that there are no capacity constraints on the delivery of that number of units on the site. Y- you have um, quite a lot, I won't over again, quite a lot of detail. Uh, from the promoters of the site in the various stages of the representations including importantly the prospectus and the technical documents which which deal with heritage, landscape and so on that we're going to come to under the other questions and transport Uh, and you don't have for instance here objection in principle from HE on heritage or dependency on cross boundary plan making uh, with other local authority areas Um, the quantum of residential, the number of residential units and the other floor space, employment floor space, uh, will ensure that the 10,000 is deliverable, and that's important because um, it's common ground, I think, between landsec and the authority that Eastern Park is one of the cornerstones of delivering the, uh, the needs of the plan, but, but, and this is where our representations arise in relation to, to point one... Um, the deliverability within the plan period crucially depends on the way that Eastern Park is to be delivered and it comes down to a couple of points which I, I think it's, I hope it 's helpful to identify for you for you now um, it, it, it is really important to enable delivery at Eastern Park as soon uh, as possible. Um, the uh, scheme could start to deliver. Um, You've seen our ED48, Mr Belton's helpfully taken you back to it just a few moments ago. Um, If uh, a different method were chosen for uh, delivering the scheme than a a DPD, uh, starting in 2023, if a DPD is um, uh, required by the local authority, then for the reasons that LANDSEC have set out and which are still, I confirm, definitely the case Um, the uh, start on site and delivery of housing is uh, is likely to be at least a year later than that, so in the year 24 Uh, and uh, whether it's a year or 18 months later, it's, it's all downside, it's all negative as far as the soundness of the plan is concerned and one can't be at this stage obviously prescriptive or predict exactly how long that delay would be. There's no real dispute between LANDSEC and the and the council that if DPD is used it will mean Eastern Park delivers housing later and that's absolutely clear. Uh, One of the main uh, reasons is that um, as Mr Belton touched on um, it is um, extremely difficult and I'm sure you'll appreciate this for a promoter of a site like Eastern Park uh, to uh, work up a planning application for a site like this which carries very, very substantial costs. Um, when a, a part of the development plan, a DPD, which is crucial to whether consent will in fact be granted for it, is in inchoate, isn't the subject just of... Discussions between stakeholders and the authority in Landsec, but um, somebody in your position who knows, Madam, maybe you. Um, if you're unlucky, uh, will have to come back and, and adjudicate on on whether the DPD is sound or not. And so, there's an enormous amount of risk involved for the promoter of a site like this if there is a DPD stage, and and that isn't um, imputing any um, ill intentions to anyone. It's just a fact. It just makes it. Commercially, very difficult and risky indeed to to, to twin track those two things, hence our more pessimistic timescales. Now, we we have, um, LANSEC has more sanguine predictions as to the rate of delivery than you have in the um, revised trajectory document, the one that was um, corrected and, and resubstituted yesterday, I think. Uh, I'm not sure what the, the reference to that document is. Forgive me, the note on the trajectory—that one that's got the, the brown tables in it. Yeah,
0: ED 49. You're
1: very kind. Thank you, ma'am. In ED, in ED 49, um, uh, and um, I, I won't touch on that again in any detail. But you've got you've got our uh, note from earlier on, which, just for your note now, ma'am, is uh, actually attached as Appendix Two to the Council's Matter Four statement. Appendix 2 to the Council's Matter 4 statement. That's our 8th of January 2018 document about delivery rates, suggesting higher rates than the Council perhaps um, identifies. Um, But the other obvious difficulty that you all have spotted already with the table at Appendix 2 of ED 49 is that there's um, literally no justification. There's There's no conceivable justification for the lower numbers that are predicted to come forward at Eastern Park year by year compared to the numbers that are predicted to come forward at North Utlesford Garden Community. I mean, there's just no explanation for that. There's debate to be had about what the start date might be. Um, But delivery of a site like Eastern Park, which is considerably larger than North Utlesford Garden Community, is actually easier for reasons you'll appreciate. Larger, more outlets, potentially higher delivery rate. And so, if anything, one would expect higher numbers being delivered at Eastern Park compared to North Uttlesford, uh, certainly not the lower numbers. And if you were to just adopt the same uh, run of 50, 75, 150, 200, etc., that you've got in the North Uttlesford row and transpose it to the Eastern Park row, then you recover the 300-odd units that are missing between 1625 and, and 1925. Um, so I don't know whether the council's planning to, to say anything more about that, but that is something that we're baffled by and we suggest this isn't reliable as a prediction. Even with those start dates, the numbers would be higher at Eastern Park year on year. But, ma'am, the soundness question is whether um, it, it is um, right to I- I impose, if you like, or to, f- to find um, sound and effective... Um, a DPD stage. And, and I make it absolutely clear, ma'am, because the word was used twice, and it is, it is a pejorative word. It isn't circumvention of the DPD process that Landsec are after. That, that just begs the question that's actually the question for you, which is is it right here, in relation to Eastern Park in particular, to have a DPD process? It just assumes the answer DPDs are the right way to go. And that's very much, we think, up for discussion at the, in this process. So we're not trying to circumvent it. We're trying to deliver the units more quickly, of course, for commercial reasons. But there should be, we think, a complete identification between the objectives of the Council and, and landsec on this question. We should all be working, shouldn't we, towards the speediest uh, adoption uh, of Uh, the the plan and the bringing out of the housing at Eastern Park as soon as possible. And the DPD uh, question is whether that is sound or whether in fact it will unduly delay the delivery. Now, ma'am, you've heard the council say through Mr Bedford mainly, I think a couple of days ago, that the main points they make in relation to the DPD, and this this obviously goes to your question, can it deliver 1925 in the plan period, um, it, it, it revolves around the need for public engagement uh, and the need to fill in, at the DPD stage, lots of things that aren't known at the moment. And thirdly, although I think this is really part of the other two points, Mr Bedford made a, a legal point about what can and can't be done by SPD, by way of SPD, and he's given you those references those three cases. Now, um, if I can deal very briefly with those, those uh, the two main points... Neither of those um, reasons for requiring a DPD really bears the kind of scrutiny that you can give it at the, the examination. Uh, in relation to the public engagement point, plainly, the, the big principles of the um, Eastern Park allocation are central to the, this examination. So, this examination process itself uh, has given rise to a considerable amount of public engagement in relation to, to Eastern Park. Um, a planning application, I Madam, and you can imagine from your experience um, the scale of the pre-application work um, and public consultation engagement on a planning application with 10,000 units, etc. At Eastern Park, will be massive and will take the kind of time that we all agree it will take in these schedules that we've been looking at, uh, and, and that, of course, is where. Um, all the relevant stakeholders will no doubt clearly and forcibly express their views about the scheme, including what should or shouldn't be in it. Um, If there needs to be some supplementary detail about um, some aspects of the scheme, uh, then there are obviously other non-DPD, non-development plan document uh, options. And the one that we've identified as being the most obvious one um, though there is a whole range of different uh, mechanisms that you will be aware of across the country used for this kind of thing, is an SPD. You could have a sub- piece of supplementary planning guidance which could cover a range of different things about the delivery of the site. And, and ma'am, that's true, and I'll, I'll stray if I'm forgiven into a legal submission, um, without the need for stipulating in, a, in an SPD any matter uh, which is properly to be Uh, restricted to a development plan document. It would would be a true piece of supplementary guidance. But, of course, the whole point about supplementary guidance is it is supplementary. It contains more detail to flesh out how you do, how you should do a scheme like this. And and we we can see a real role for that. And if that was the mechanism that was used in association with a big um, outline planning application process... Um, we can uh, see far less risk associated with that, obviously, because it doesn't involve examination, delays, et cetera, that, that might might give rise to. So the engagement point, we think, if you really imagine how this is likely to work, um, the council are unduly concerned, we say, and, and it's driving this DPD process, which is going to cause the whole thing to be delayed. On, on the filling in the gaps, We've made our point about the fuzzy blob, et cetera, and and the red lines. Clearly a case for more specificity. Um, And apart from the council, there was almost unanimity in the room about that the other day when we were discussing this. Everybody wants to know as much detail about this as possible, as early as possible, uh, including, obviously, the promoters of the site. And when you look at SP6, I'm not going to do this in extenso right now, but when you look at SP6, you see already in the draft policy a, a very detailed set of criteria, requirements um, for the um, New Garden Community at Eastern Park, beginning on page 42 of the Regulation 19 plan and extending all the way through, in the box, in the policy text, until page 47 uh, of the the plan. Now, we have some issues with um, some of the wording in that, which we'll come back to under the detail points later on. But just as an overview... Um, that is uh, already a very considerable uh, framework for identifying uh, the parameters, etc., of the Eastern Park scheme. And I'll just pick one example for now. Um, that's at point 13, ma'am, which is on page 45 of the plan. So this is a, um, a policy which uses the word shall and obviously has the force of if it's adopted in this form of the development plan for Section 38.6 and the application and so on. Uh, And B uh, says conserve and where appropriate enhance the significance of heritage assets in their settings both within the site and within the wider area and then it names Eastern Lodge and the RPG. Now leaving aside freestanding statutory duties and and so on which would apply anyway that is a, a, a very clear um, policy requirement, which guides the uh, layout, um, mitigation, landscaping, etc. of a future final um, outline scheme at uh, Eastern Park at the application stage. It's absolutely clear that if Land Securities or Landsat came forward with a scheme which did not conserve the significance of the RPG then, as obviously a matter of judgment, but if that was the judgment that was reached, it wouldn't be in accordance with this policy. And that would be a breach of the development plan in that respect uh, that would be something that would give rise to a potential issue. So that's just an example of the amount of detail that already exists which will drive the actual scheme when it comes out. And I just use that as a good example, we, we think, of when you think this through, what more... Will a DPD, so not the application, not a master plan, but what will a DPD say more than conserve and enhance the setting of the RPG? The DPD itself can't go to the, state, the stage and detail of an application itself. So there's always going to be how deep is the planting belt, how high are the buildings nearby. And that's for a later stage. The DPD won't really add anything to what's already in the, in the draft policy. So what is so critical that it has to go through that process? What is really unknown at the moment? Again, uh, uh, other sites have their own issues in relation to what's unknown. Those don't really arise in relation to to Eastern Park. And so, ma'am, what that that comes down to is the DPD point and the the issues. And I'll just deal finally, if I may, with why the Statement of Common Ground hasn't been signed because it's directly relevant to the answer that Land Securities gives to question one. And for this purpose, um, it, I think actually the easiest way to do this is, do you have a copy of um, ED45, which is the Grosvenor um, UDC uh, Statement of Common Ground? I'm not obviously going to criticise this in any way. I'm just going to use it to illustrate the issues that LANSEC still has with the the process. Now, ma'am, it, you know that we have made an objection, um, and this is our um, letter of the 27th of November 2018 which you have, which is the objection to focus change four. So you you know that this this point has been concerning us and it's the question of uh, what's called the QCP, the Quality and Collaboration Partnership. Now um, that is defined uh, as it were as between Grosvenor and the Council at paragraph 5.2 of the Statement of Common Ground. It's not paginated but it's on the One, two, three, fourth page of the the document. Um, I'm not going to trawl through this. It's got a lengthy, um, it's obviously wet towel round head um, time and, and this long definition has emerged. And you'll see that it says the QCP will comprise a suite of documents entered into voluntarily by UDC and the master developer negotiated in good faith always consistent with the terms and principles contained in this Statement of Common Ground, which shall represent one of those documents. So, um, in short, the doc- this document itself will be part of the QCP. Now, the focus change, you'll your, um, n- your, your remember, requires the QCP as part of the process. Now, the, the difficult... That, that doesn't sound too bad, but the difficulty is when you look up the page at 4.3... Uh, you will see, um, as part of the Statement of Common Ground and therefore part of the QCP itself, a paragraph which begins, Grosvenor and UDC are committed to key principles of community engagement. Now, ma'am, as I've said, there is absolutely no doubt that uh, that LANSAC, like Grosvenor, Is committed to community engagement and will do it across the whole range of relevant considerations as the scheme, if if the scheme is allocated, as it comes forward. The difficulty comes um, at bullet point four the one that begins continued engagement with the local community and stakeholders after a decision has made, been made on the planning applications, no problem so far, including consultation on proposed planning conditions, no problem, and section 106 obligations, fine, it's the last bit, and or other similar obligations. Now, ma'am, the, the difficulty that um, LandSec has, and it's, I, I know that we're looking at um, four or five words at the end of a sentence, but it, what that disguises is something of critical importance uh, for the practicalities of the exercise, is that the QCP um, may, and there are indications that needn't trouble us today, uh, uh, that it will involve matters which go outside the planning process. Now, um, that that isn't something that, as LANSEC has said on a number of occasions, is something that it can sign up to. It isn't something that it should sign up to, obviously. Uh, And it's something that um, won't come as any surprise to stakeholders in the area that LANSEC wouldn't be prepared to sign up to. Um, a lot of joint working in, has already taken place and will take place between Landsec and the local authorities. I keep stressing that point. But this aspect of the arrangement, which is there, present within this arrangement, is of substantial concern to land securities and, and, it, and it's not prepared to sign up to this definition and that's where we've got to. So that's just a substantive explanation about <clears throat> the differences and, as it were, a kind of process explanation about why we still haven't given you a statement of common ground, even as at today's, as at today's date. And that's why we maintain our objection to that focus change that the Council has got, If there is going to be reference to a QCP, it's got to be defined in a way that is within the four corners of the planning system, doesn't leave any room for doubt uh, about that, and doesn't allow uh, any slippage between what is appropriate within the planning system and what is, frankly, inappropriate within the the planning system. And so, ma'am, that's where we are in relation to the... um, the the QCP, the combination of the DPD stage that the Council really wants and we think is a retrograde step and this QCP aspect of the delivery are the two main concerns that we have. With those removed, if you accept our representations, then there is no reason why the earlier of the earliest because there are four as Mr Belton said earliest of the trajectories for the delivery of the housing at Eastern Park cannot be met and land securities obviously wants the earliest of those trajectories to, to be met without
4: those points being agreed I'm afraid they're unlikely to be thank you
0: thank you Mr Miles
4: can I come back first man just on a on a few points um, and um it's right just to try and be as clear as we can. I, I just want to be on, on a couple of those points. So the first is you were taken to ED48, which is the Matter 5, Question 6 briefing note. And um, first point to make on that is if you look at that table that's provided by LANSEC, of course, what we um, would ask you to look at alongside that is our AA6 and 7, which is ED thirty, ED30. 30. And you've heard from Mr Miles on what the differences are, and he may just um, try and clarify that for you. The other point about it, though, is, of course, you'll see Section 4. Section 4, the last page, is the observations by um, UDC, by Ottersford District Council. And that really goes to um, two points. You heard Mr Warren talk about the difference between um, DPD or, or SPD, and really he mentioned three points. One is public engagement that the council's raised. The second is filling in things that are unknown... Um, through a DPD process and the third is what can and can't be provided for in SPD you'll call those points so if I can just deal with that third point, the third point it's right, the the legal position is as set out on that final page, section 4 and again I don't want to make this um, uh, a question of legal submissions too much but I do need to just address that um, if I may Um, and you'll see there that there's under 4.4 Um, three cases set out, which is the Skipton case, the William Davis case, and the MP and Power Renewables case, Um, all of which um, really go to this question of how the courts have interpreted um, what you can do by SPD um, and rather what you should be doing through DPD. Now, so that's why um, we say when you look at those cases, and you'll see the paragraph references um, are given, Um, we say um, the the kind of things that we're talking about have to be dealt with through um, DPD. So just to put a little bit of flesh on on those bones, if I just refer you to the Davis case... Now, what I can do, if it's helpful, is provide that case, but I don't want to if I can summarise it in a way which is helpful and doesn't need further um, drilling down to. But the Davis case involved um, a housing SPD... Um, which the Council was um, relying upon, dealing with housing mix. Um, And um, the challenge that was brought and succeeded was that housing mix in that form should have been dealt with through a DPD. And that um, housing SPD, in terms, was talking about following broad proportions of housing mix um, that they will be used, the following broad proportions will be used. That was the language of that SPD, which was found... Um, to have been dealt, should have been dealt with by an SPD, and the court analyzed regulation five of the two thousand and twelve regulations which defines what dPDs um, are and um, you 'll note and you can note that that is incredibly widely drafted, mm-hmm. so regulation five one a uh, one and four um, talk about the um, uh, one or more of the following: the development and use of land, which the LPA wished to encourage during any specified period. And that's number uh, that's one. And 51 a 4 is development management policies, which are intended to guide the determination of applications for planning permission. So the point is where the document on which you are seeking to rely comes within that wide definition the court's position is that has to be dealt with through a DPD. i just repeat that. Where you're intending to guide the determination of applications for planning permission through development management policies, that has to be dealt with through DPD. That's the effect. That's the effect of um, the case law that's set out at 4.4 of that section. Now, what we say is that leaves very little room for anything um, that's not a DPD to not also fall within that wide definition. And that's where Um, Charnwood Borough Council um, came unstuck in trying to do a housing SPD in the um, uh, William Davis case on housing mix. So the DPD is really the dominant method by which you do it and it's incredibly widely drafted. Now uh, what does that mean um, here? Well can I just make four points if you just look at section 4, the last page of that I mean what um, Landsec says that you'll see at 4.1, firstly both the DPD and SPD can cover the same topics in the same detail, well, um, that's not quite um, right in the the sense of characterising what the law is as a result of those cases, and I've addressed you on that. They are not of equivalence, and of course you'll note, just by the by, that um, a key difference is, um, and a DPD goes through um, independent examination, Uh, but also it then becomes, of course, part of the development plan in a plan-led process. And so that really does reflect, if you like, public engagement. Um, It's subject to independent examination and um, it's formally part of the development plan and Section 38.6 plan-led process. So that's that's the first point. We don't agree with that. The second point, just looking at um, 4.2, just to reflect that, The upshot of what I've said is it's not possible for an SPD to set out any new statements regarding development management policies, which are, to pick up the wordings of the regulation, intended to guide the determination of applications for planning permissions. That's just reflecting the case law. Um, So that's, thirdly, restricting the proper scope of an SPD uh, means that we can't use the vehicle of an SPD to provide more detail, i.e. new policy statements, on, on the requirements. And that brings me really to the fourth point, which is looking at SP6 in this case, but also 7 and 8 with regards to the other garden communities. What they provide for is generic policies, of course, but they do not provide, we say, um, sufficient detail on the full range of development management matters which we say are needed to guide the successful delivery of the garden communities. So that's the fourth point on it's paragraph 4.5 um, on that page. What you can do, what you can do through an SPD is illustrate the ways or the types of, of ways of coming forward that might be acceptable, but what you can 't do is um, um, provide for development management policies which are intended to guide the determination of, of applications, so all of that really um, is why we say. Um, there's only so much, there's a restricted amount of things that you can do through an SPD, which we say in this case is not appropriate, which is why we seek a DPD. Um, you've been referred to um, policy SP6, and it's right to say, of course, it is lengthy. Um, but if one just looks at, for example, housing mix, so I'm on page 42 under policy SP6, Um, paragraph one on land uses, a mix of housing sizes and types of housing will be delivered in accordance with housing needs, including 40% affordable. Um, That is exactly the same as in the Davis case. It's just the kind of um, more broad brush policy that we have here, and that's adequate for the local plan, but we say we want to tie that in through a DPD, and we'd have to, according to the case law, if we want to um, guide uh, the termination through housing mix. And there are a number of other... Um, aspects of the policy, which we say are left open-ended and which need to be dealt with through the DPD. So, and again, I don't want to go through um, all of them, but I just refer in the context of that Davis case to housing mix as um, an example. Um, <clears throat> so, um, apart from anything else, we say as a matter of law, um, it, we can't just fill in the gaps through an SPD, um, It it, it needs to be something more than that. And if you were to say or take the view that we could provide more detail in this policy, the question would be, is there a sufficient evidence base to support that at this stage? And we say um, there isn't, uh, which is why we want to to, to go go through the DPD uh, process. Now, of course, that has a knock-on effect for delivery, but I did want to spell out why we say and why we are committed to... Um, seeking um, a DPD um, uh, process. Um, I think probably at that stage I'll bring in Mr. Miles um, just on um, other matters and, and delivery. Thank you. Um, I,
7: I don't think I need to talk again about ED48 and ED30. I've, I've discussed that already. Uh, the one point I did want to cover was on the uh, rate of delivery. um and the the question over there being no justification for the the lower delivery at Eastern Park when compared with um, north huttlesford in in, uh, in e d forty nine um the as I said yesterday i think um the justification for that was that the recently signed statement of common ground with Grosvenor um in which they commit to delivering the nineteen twenty five in the plan period. And also the um uh, appendix to their Matter four statement in which they demonstrate delivery of two thousand units within the plan period. We we don't have that, that similar um recently signed statement of common ground with Landsec, uh, and we didn't feel able to to um uh, to we didn't we didn't feel it would be suitably evidenced to, to go with that uh, figure and then the the the, the thing which we th- thought we should do and we did do was to push the trajectory back by one year.
0: Mr Warren, do you want to come back on that? May I briefly, and I mean
1: briefly. The... um, Uh, for those at home as it were um, maybe a degree of bafflement about why we're f***ing out about these these points given that we all, you know, the council and the Landsat basically want the same outcome Um, but but this is pretty important commercially for land securities but we think should be reappraised with your assistance by the council because of the difficulties that the council obviously faces in relation to housing delivery and in particular the early part of the the plan. So um, I think uh, relying on uh, concerns about the legal dividing line between DPD and SPD, I'm afraid, isn't really, in our view, the correct approach to take. That's a red herring, really, ma'am, in the end anyway, that point. Because as I said earlier, with a, a set of policies like the ones you've got in the Regulation 19 plan, a, a site like Eastern Park can be progressed. Um, through master planning and the planning application, with all the details to be sorted out and and local engagement taking place during that process. So the SPD was our uh, attempt to assist the authority with some sort of interim or or additional LPA document um, uh, for their own purposes, but it's actually not necessary at all. But, ma'am, the point that Mr Ranatunga makes about the the case law doesn't really advance the debate uh, before you in our submission, it really misses the point about the um, soundness and effectiveness issue that we're raising, because uh, just to take the... I gave the example of heritage, which I noticed didn't have any response to it. Um, The the point that Mr Ranatunga makes about mix, um, if you turn to page 81, I don't ask you to do that now, but if you were to turn to page 81 of this plan, you would come across something called Policy H2 housing mix um, which is the mix policy that the council's bringing forward as part of this plan now um, um, whether that stays exactly as it is or whether it's got some tweak con- relating to the garden community is obviously entirely within the scope of this examination and for the authority to, to bring forward so it's just with great respect not the best example one can think of uh, of why this plan doesn't already contain all of the policy requirements that might apply to Eastern Park. And we've certainly never heard any uh, uh, suggestion that Eastern Park providing, uh, in the end, 10,000 or thereabouts units should have a radically different housing mix or affordable housing policy associated with it than anything else that comes forward in the plan. So they're not generic um, uh, requirements in policy SP6, They're quite specific, and the example I gave was a good example referring to preserving the setting of the RPG. And they do provide um, a substantial measure of uh, uh, detail and a process that needs to be followed during the application uh, that would come forward. So, as I say, could do it by way of application, you, you have the existing plan that we're examining, uh, and there's also the question of the use of SPD, as Mr Ranatunga said, to illustrate uh, all sorts of ways that the council might want things done. And that's absolutely standard. Um, if you're doing something north of Park Road, for instance, to take the example we're going to come on to, no doubt, in the, in the afternoon, you could do this, you could do that, but you, you may not do the other. You know, it's, th- those, These are the examples that we're giving you. That doesn't... Uh, trespass into what should be in a DPD. It's exactly the kind of meat and drink for an SPD. So um, th- that's, that's our response in relation to the DPD point. Too, if I can um, put it this way, too concerned about the DPD, not focused enough on what we've got already and what we need to be focusing on to deliver the unit. Um, in relation to the rate of delivery, and there wasn't any response on the QCP point, ma'am. That may be that we just have to go back again offline and, and c- continue to talk about this. It's a sensitive, you can imagine a sensitive subject, and it would be, have been better not to have had to raise it in the, in the open examination, but there we are. That's where we are today. On the rate of delivery, again, I'm, not, I'm just not sure that what Mr Miles said really answers the point that I made on behalf of LANDSEC. Um, it, it isn't true that there isn't, Uh, land securities and Barton will more evidence about the higher um, build rates that can come forward at Eastern Park. I referred you to the 8th of January 2018 document that forms part of the Council's own matter statement. So there there really isn't any. it's, it's, uh, It's not really enough to say well we've got some numbers agreed with Grosvenor. My point was jolly good. The same applies doesn't it in terms of rates to Eastern Park. That must be right. Can't really see any reason why that shouldn't be the case. Thank you
0: to come back on that and then we'll break for lunch
1: very quickly on the
7: 8th of January statement that that's the 8th of January uh, 2018 that's the the evidence that informed the local plan trajectory the trajectory that we pushed back because we didn't have any further evidence uh, after the 8th of January statement um, um <coughs> No, I I think I'll leave it
8: there.
0: Okay, it's just after one o'clock.
8: Could I just make a really quick point to respond, um, just while it's fresh in my mind, really? Um, The inference of the council was that they were going to um, just briefly comment on the differences between the landsec trajectory and and the councils, but I think Mr Miles indicated that um, he sort of said enough on that. If I may, through you, if I could ask maybe... if if we could have that response. Uh, and I say that for the reasons of, you know, we've had a long discussion on this yesterday. Um, I've put to you that the trajectory from LANSEC, one of the promoters of the two sites affected by the trajectory, has very different um, expectations that have significant consequences on the trajectory. And, and even if you look, ma'am, at um, ED48 um, and the, 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 the most optimistic trajectory that LANSEC put forward where we're twin tracking with an SPD... That is still only seeing development commencing in September 2023, so that's still later than the council's assumptions. If we have a DPD and new twin track, so as I say, there's a big difference in uh, in what the promoter is is suggesting. And um, I think it would be right for the council to to explain, for the benefit of all, what, why they think the assumptions in ED30 um, are sound and appropriate, given they don't allow any time for marketing and that they are just so tight. Um, So if if you agree, Mom, I I would like to invite some some further clarity on that.
0: Yes, I mean, obviously we can't make them speak, but um, but yeah, if they want to. Can we come back to it after lunch? I'm conscious that time's ticking on and people want to eat. Um, Is everybody happy to come back at 2 o'clock? That would give you 55 minutes to get a sandwich.
11: Okay, so we'll resume again at 2 o'clock.